0: Like those out of uh, not only uh, Florida and whatnot, I mean, out of Brazil and whatnot. You know, you've got white people in Brazil. People kind of assume there ain't no, you know, that everybody in Brazil is non white, you know, or in South America. Argentina is mostly white. A lot of them got German backgrounds.
1: We start in Argentina, where supporters of the self-styled radical outsider Javier Millet have been celebrating his victory in the presidential election. Mr. Millet pulled off a massive upset, easily beating his rival Sergio Massa of the ruling left-wing Peronist Party. Javier Millet has promised a new dawn for a country ravaged by debt and inflation, pledging to do away with the central bank and replace the peso with the US dollar. The former U.S. president, Donald Trump, has congratulated him on his victory, saying he will truly make Argentina great again. And Brazil's former president, Bolsonaro, says hope shines again in South America. Our South America correspondent, Katie Watson, reports.
2: For Argentina, this was a political earthquake. Javier Millet won by a wider than expected margin, and his victory sent a clear message. Argentinians want to change.
3: The situation in Argentina is critical. The changes our country needs are drastic. There is no room for gradualism. There is no room for half measures.
2: Mr. Malay was a relative unknown until a few months ago, but his brash manner, including wielding a chainsaw at a campaign event, got him noticed. In a country where annual inflation is now over 140% and two in five Argentinians now live in poverty, a drastic new approach to fixing problems was a clever move. I think this time Argentina needed a change and that's why I bet on this
4: new proposal. We are doing really bad as a country, and I hope Milay does not disappoint us. With this current government, we have gone from bad to worse.
2: But the campaign was divisive, as his rival, said. Massa, acknowledged when he conceded defeat.
5: I called him, convinced that the most important thing for us Argentinians tonight is to remember that working together, dialogue and respect for peace, rather than this violence, is the best path we should take.
2: Beyond the economy, Mr. Malay also wants to loosen gun laws and ban abortion. As people voted on Sunday, the disillusionment with politics was clear.
6: I'm a bit sad about the whole situation. I don't know how this will help us move the country forward. At least we are voting and exercising democracy, but I'm not happy with either candidate. <laughs> He
2: and his vice president have also repeatedly been accused of lacking respect for democracy and calling into question the official number of victims during the country's dictatorship. All told, Malay's victory has been a shock for Argentina's traditional political scene, one that for decades has been dominated by the political movement of Peronism. Javier Millet said he'll deliver change for Argentina, but few understand what that will look like. On things clear, it will be unlike anything that's come
1: before. Katie Watson reporting. As we've been hearing, Javier Millet campaigned on bold promises. But will he be able to deliver? Luis Fajardo is from BBC Monitoring.
7: That is precisely what many people are uh, warning that it will happen in the next month as Millet tries to uh, translate all these political promises into concrete policy actions. Uh, Millet has a, a minority in Congress. He does not have a majority in Congress, and he will surely face strong opposition. Also Argentina is a very federal country, with regional governors having a lot of, uh, of power, and his movement doesn't have even one governor on his side. So it's going to be extremely difficult to face this situation. Uh, Situation also with h- harsh pressure from market forces, which will be uh, very, very sceptical in many cases of the promises he has made. So he has a very, very strong, a very difficult road to to continue now.
1: Luis Fajardo from BBC Monitoring.
7: The whole black side of town in the trouble.
0: Sixty miles away, they had had to toss her rats. Years. Before I was born, but they never talked about him never it slaughter it was a slaughter. They never talked about it. The old folks never talked about it when uh-huh. I was in Oklahoma.
6: Black leaders in Oklahoma want to keep the state's historic freedmen towns alive. They were established after the Civil War on Indian land, but are now experiencing economic hardship. Elizabeth Caldwell from member station KWGS reports there's no clear path to how they could survive. (laughs)
8: <laughs> in eastern Oklahoma, at the Honey Springs Visitor Center, Director Adam Lynn is telling a tour group about the largest Civil War battle that took place here in Indian Country.
9: Most importantly, this is thought to be one of the most culturally, if not the most culturally diverse conflict to take place in the entire Civil War. That's a large statement since there were over 10,000 battle skirmishes and conflicts that took place.
8: The Union's first black soldiers fought at Honey Springs in the summer of 1863 alongside members of the Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Nations. Lynn says the black soldiers deserve a lot of credit.
9: They played a large role in Union victory here. They were the very first African American regiment to see combat in the entire Civil War as well.
8: After the Union won the war, the tribes, in negotiation with the federal government, granted their former slaves land these freedmen helped to create at least 50 all-black towns in Oklahoma. Simone Davis is the former town manager of Oklahoma's oldest historically black town, Tallahassee. She says freedmen's towns are important not only for historical reasons, but because they set examples
6: for ownership. Black towns are governed by a municipal boundary line, or trustees and city councils who are of the community, same people. Black people, black town, black mayor, black council. And so it's really important for us to see ourselves in these roles, knowing that we are guiding our own future. And that's what black towns represent. There are about 13 historic all-black towns in Oklahoma
8: still operating today, but most are rural with tiny populations. Not all residents are black, and people are leaving for better opportunities. Tallahassee doesn't even have a place to shop for food. Lori Thompson, who assists Tallahassee's mayor, says she'd like to see a small store in the community.
10: But of course, we, you know, we would love to have big things and you know have a, a real grocery store and that type of stuff. That would be great, too. But we've got to start small.
8: At least the town has a community center and hopes its history could attract visitors. About 30 miles away is another all-black town called Rentiesville. It's home to the Oklahoma Blues Hall of Fame. Volunteer Shelley Zaykis says an annual blues festival is largely funded by grants and donations.
5: It's not like a real money maker. You know, it's more for the heart of the music. And the musicians just, they have
1: to play.
8: A lot of people come just for the festival. The mayor of Rentiesville, Mildred Burkhalter, says her town of 135 people has hopes for an RV park and a gift shop to offer a place for tourists to stay year-round.
11: We have big ideas, but the main thing is we have to have the resources to put those things in place.
8: Where to find those resources is not clear, but Burkhalter says with growing restrictions on how black history is taught in school, preserving these towns matters
11: the history, it can't be told the way you want to tell it. So the only way you're going to know about it is that you're going to have to pay visits. You're going to have to come into these little towns and see what it's all about.
8: Burk Coulter says for however long her town is on the map, that history will remain alive. For NPR News, I'm Elizabeth Caldwell in
12: Rentiesville, Oklahoma. A terrible thing to waste. Environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. Written by Harriet A. Washington.
13: The Biden administration is making $2 billion available to community groups, states and tribes to clean up pollution and develop clean energy in disadvantaged communities in what officials called the largest ever investment in environmental justice. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan called the grant program unprecedented and said it has the promise to turn disadvantaged and overburdened areas into healthy, resilient and thriving communities for current and future generations. Folks, this is Historic, Regan told reporters at a news conference Tuesday. The program, funded by the sweeping climate law signed last year by President Biden, is aimed at poor and minority communities that have long been overlooked and forgotten and struggle to gain access to federal funding, Regan said. The climate law authorized $3 billion for underserved communities burdened by pollution, including $1 billion that has already been allocated. Regan, the first black man to lead the EPA, has made environmental justice a top priority and has visited a number of poor and minority communities in the South, Appalachia and Alaska in a years-long journey to justice tour. Biden has repeatedly emphasized his commitment to environmental justice, including an executive order in April to create a White House Office of Environmental Justice. The grant program, which will be available immediately, will be overseen by EPA's Office of Environmental Justice and External Civil Rights, which Reagan created last year. The grants are aimed at nonprofits and other locally based groups that will partner with cities, states, tribes, or colleges and universities to boost climate resiliency and adaptation, mitigate urban heat islands and wildfires, monitor air and water pollution, reduce indoor air toxics, and boost zero emissions transportation such as bikes and electric vehicles. The program is intended to address multiple, overlapping problems in poor communities instead of trying to take on problems one small grant at a time, said John Podesta. Biden's senior advisor on clean energy. About 150 community-driven projects are expected to win grants ranging from $10 million to $20 million each, officials said. Another 20, smaller projects will be funded to improve communication between communities and the government. Those grants are expected to total about $1 million to $3 million apiece. In recognition of the historic difficulties that targeted groups have in learning about and applying for federal grants— about $200 million will be made available for technical assistance, Regan said. Grants will be awarded on a rolling basis, and groups that do not receive funding in early rounds will be able to reapply, he said. The program will remain open for a year to ensure maximum participation by a range of groups nationwide. The EPA also identified five targeted investment areas with unique needs or geography to compete for funding. Tribes in Alaska will be eligible for $150 million for cleanup of contaminated lands and other projects, while $300 million will be set aside for tribes in the lower 48 states. Territories and unincorporated communities will each be eligible for $50 million in funding, while communities near the southern border will receive up to $100 million to address cross-border pollution and other challenges. The grant program comes as House Republicans have targeted spending in the climate law, known as the Inflation Reduction Act. A GOP spending proposal would rescind $1.4 billion in environmental justice grants. Regan, Podesta and other officials vowed to fight the Republican plan, which Biden has strongly opposed.
14: Billy I sing blues. Bet your life against me and I swear to God you lose it. The cops we're still for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we're still saying for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we're still saying for St. Louis.
15: Across the country, many progressive prosecutors have been labeled soft on crime for criminal justice reforms, such as eliminating cash bail and not prosecuting shoplifters. Some have been removed from office. And in St. Louis, the resistance is so fierce that one police officer is refusing to do one of the most important parts of his job. NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer collaborated with ProPublica to examine how this situation mirrors a nationwide trend. So, Sasha, tell us about this man.
4: So, this is a St. Louis homicide detective named Roger Murphy. He is refusing to testify in murder cases in which he was the lead investigator. So far, he's declined to take the stand in at least nine cases. And Murphy thinks his absence hurt prosecutors' chances of getting convictions. And A, there's another trial coming up soon, and Murphy won't testify in that one either.
15: Wow. Why why won't he testify?
4: Because the St. Louis prosecutor's office put Murphy on a list of cops with credibility problems. Murphy landed on it, he believes unfairly, because of some Facebook posts interpreted as being racist. But even though Murphy was on that list... The prosecutor's office still asked him to testify in cases. Murphy says it's hypocritical to question his integrity, yet trust him to take the stand. And he says if he does testify, defense lawyers might attack him about why he's on the list. So he's not doing it.
15: All right, so now I'm going to guess that there is a progressive prosecutor at the center of the story.
4: Yes, there is. It's a woman named Kim Gardner. She was the top prosecutor in St. Louis for nearly seven years. She vowed to reduce mass incarceration, hold police accountable, but she clashed with police. They say she failed to prosecute legitimate cases, and Detective Murphy strongly opposes her policies.
12: I don't believe in the progressive system at all, at all. The public has seen me as the enemy and has seen our profession as the enemy, but... We didn't break the system. We kept arresting people and she kept letting them out, you know, refusing
4: cases, refusing good cases. And a Gardner resigned this spring after huge pushback and a lot of dysfunction in her office. And Murphy is now retired, but he's still refusing to testify in ongoing cases.
15: Now, as we mentioned earlier, I mean, many progressive prosecutors around the country have also faced opposition recently.
4: Right. Philadelphia, Baltimore, San Francisco, Boston, I think L.A., where you are. They all have or had progressive prosecutors who were hit with huge resistance and some were forced out or resigned. In Chicago, the top prosecutor is Kim Fox. And she's also experienced this, although she hasn't had a Roger Murphy like situation.
14: A detective deliberately tanking a case. That is horrifying to hear, quite honestly. But I have been faced with, Kim Gardner has been faced with, and others have been faced with, an unprecedented level of hate and vitriol from those who were previously partners with others who did this work.
4: Kim Fox is referring there to police departments and police unions, which she says were rooting for her to fail from the get-go.
14: Before I put my hand on the Bible to take the oath to take this job, there was a widely known police blog going around naming me Crimeisha, C-R-I-M-E-S-H-A, which is a play on the word crime and what I believe to be a racist insinuation about me being black with the name Isha. Spelling my name with three X's to insinuate the sexualization of who I am, putting out my address and saying perhaps if people came to my house and assaulted my daughters, then my view on crime would be different.
4: So she thinks police weren't going to accept her no matter how much she tried to work with them.
15: All right. Now, police departments and police unions, what are their main complaints about progressive prosecutors?
4: Basically, they view them as enemies of old-fashioned law enforcement. Many police say they're too liberal and they're making cities less safe. I want to play you some police body camera tape from the Burlington, Vermont area, where there's a progressive prosecutor. The officer you're going to hear is speaking to a young couple and saying he can't do much about suspected drug dealers in their neighborhood because of the local prosecutor named Sarah George.
3: Unfortunately, this is kind of the product of Sarah George's super progressive soft on crime approach where we arrest the same people daily and they get out the same day.
4: He went on to encourage them to vote for her opponent in an upcoming election. So some progressive prosecutors feel that some police are actively undermining them in the community.
15: Sasha, what do we know about crime rates in places that have progressive prosecutors?
4: Some studies have found that does not cause an increase, but criminologists will be debating for years how much crime rates were affected by COVID versus the economy versus progressive policies. Now, some police believe criminals are emboldened by progressive prosecutors because they think there will be no consequences for illegal behavior. But the counter argument is that desperate or hardened people aren't thinking in advance about whether the local prosecutor is tough on crime or progressive. Here's the president of the St. Louis NAACP, a man named Adolphus Pruitt.
16: A lot of folks who are committing crimes today are not saying, hey, we got this liberal prosecutor in office, let's run out here and commit some crimes. It is not happening in that way. You have people who are not afraid to go to jail. It's as simple as that. They're at a point in their lives where, hell, my life ain't worth crap anyway, some of them feel. And then you trying to tell me that jail is worse. <laughs> A lot of them don't feel that way.
4: So both prosecutors and police have that to contend with,
15: too. All right. That's NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer. Sasha, thanks for bringing this to us. You're welcome.
17: I want to be a cop. Can you keep your lips sealed? I think with leadership skills can turn low level offenders into crisp bills. You know, I've always wanted to be a cop. A community
15: activist wants an outside agency to investigate allegations of misconduct and corruption within the San Diego Police Department.
11: C- CBS 8's Kelly Hesedal joins us live from SDPD headquarters with what she's learned today. Kelly.
18: That's right, and this comes on the heels of some stunning allegations made just last month by a current uh, San Diego police captain. Captain Alberto Leos uh, claims he was discriminated against, uh, harassed, retaliated against uh, within the department and also by the police chief. Now, community activist Tasha Williamson uh, says she wants an investigation. She takes the captain's claims even further and says there is uh, corruption inside the Eternal Affairs Unit. The
19: significance of the Internal Affairs Unit in holding officers accountable cannot be overstated. Unfortunately, we believe the critical institution has been compromised.
18: And so here's a look at the two complaints Williamson filed with the California Department of Justice against both the department and Chief David Nisleit. In one of them, she alleges a police captain in charge of internal Infa- affairs, that is, was reassigned to another unit because he refused to go along with what the chief wanted. Today, Williamson was joined by Yusuf Miller of the North County Equity and Justice Coalition and Genevieve Jones-Wright of the Community Advocates for Just and Moral Governance in calling for this outside agency to investigate. They also want Chief Nisleit and Assistant Chiefs Terrence Charlo and Chris McGrath to be placed on administrative leave and to halt all promotions in January in light of these allegations. Now, Captain Laos has said he was ordered to alter traffic reports involving fellow officers, including one that involved the police police chief's son, who was also an officer. Jones Wright today alleges there is a culture of corruption and cover-up in the department. I think that we've seen enough, we have
20: heard enough, and we cannot continue to ask for community members to continue to put their trust in folks that don't deserve it.
18: And the San Diego Police Officers Association released the following statement regarding the complaints made by Williamson. Uh, Over the years, Tasha Williamson has made numerous false allegations about SDPD officers and employees. Based on past allegations, her claims are not credible, and the SDPOA will be reviewing this for libel and legal action. So, back out here live, Uh, we reached out to the San Diego Police Department for comment. Uh, We did not get a response back. Uh, Williamson is also calling on Mayor Todd Gloria to investigate. I reached out to his office office today, and they told me they cannot comment on any matters that are related to pending litigation, of course, referring to Captain Laos' uh, pending lawsuit. Heather and Carlo.
15: And Kelly, Chief Newslight is facing some accusations in this situation. It turns out he announced plans last week to retire. Did the activists today have any comment on the search for his replacement?
18: Yeah, and that question was asked today. And yeah, they absolutely are concerned. They say that they're afraid that this uh, process won't be transparent. Uh, they're also afraid that they have they're, a police chief has already been chosen, despite the fact that uh, the police department announced this nationwide search. So they say that's just one more reason they want this outside agency to come in here and to investigate. And Kelly Hustedall reporting live from San Diego Police Headquarters downtown. Kelly, thanks. <laughs>
21: Poor housing conditions can devastate the health of a resident, and that is especially true for children with conditions like asthma. For our series Living Better, NPR's Maria Godoy reports on one program in which a lawyer
22: has become part of the medical team. On a recent fall day, I visited a rental home in Washington, D.C. to tag along on a home inspection of sorts.
23: This room
18: was a lot better. The walls used to be, like, really dark, like, black and green all up the
22: walls. That's Leisha Jab. She's a lawyer with the Children's Law Center, a D.C.-based legal service organization that fights to improve kids' health. She's here to make sure that pervasive mold and other problems in this home are being fixed, her client, Shelley, points to improvements in the kitchen. We're only using Shelley's first name to protect her against potential retaliation from her landlord.
6: Yeah, fungus, mushroom growing out right here.
22: Wish they fixed that. Yeah, you had a mushroom growing out
23: of your sink at one point. <laughs>
22: like an actual mushroom? Yeah. Shelley lives in the home with her 7-year-old daughter, and the mold issues yeah. often set off her asthma. It was difficult because she really couldn't really breathe. During those tough times, her daughter frequently ended up in the ER.
6: It's devastating. It's giving me anxiety. It's taken away a lot of her education.
22: This summer, the doctors at the asthma clinic at Children's National Hospital decided Shelley's daughter needed a different kind of specialist, which is how Jap was assigned as her attorney. Now Shelley's home is undergoing repairs,
24: so it looks much better. <laughs> yes.
22: JAP is one of about 20 staff attorneys and investigators who work as part of the Children's Law Center's Healthy Together program. It's a medical-legal partnership with several D.C. area clinics. Doctors will call in the lawyers when a low-income family needs help with housing conditions that are harming kids' health. Often, it's asthma. In D.C., a child with asthma who lives in a low-income community is 20 times more likely to end up in the E.R. than a child in a more affluent neighborhood. Tracy Goodman directs the program.
23: It could be mice infestation, rats, roach infestation. It could be a lot of water damage that creates mold. All of those are allergens, and that can exacerbate the child's asthma.
22: Lawyers start off by sending a letter to the landlord informing them of their legal obligation to make fixes. If the landlord doesn't comply, they'll take him to a special housing conditions court to force them to make repairs.
23: When we're successful and the conditions are fixed in the home or the family is able to move to another unit, another home, you can see very quickly how the child's asthma is improved.
22: And there's research to back that up. Data collected by the Children's Law Center found that after a legal intervention, kids with asthma experienced fewer trips to the ER and fewer hospitalizations. Karen Dale is the CEO of AmeriHealth Caritas DC, a Medicaid plan that is now reimbursing Children's Law Center after successful legal interventions.
14: There's so much evidence, right, that shows that what happens in a doctor's office in the seven to 10 minutes that someone spends there is not the best predictor of their overall health and well-being, that it is all the other things that occur that's impacting their health.
22: She says connecting low-income patients with legal aid is good medicine. It's also cost-effective. Dale co-authored research that found that in the 18 months after a legal intervention by Children's Law Center, managed care organizations spent an average of $10,000 less on health care for kids with asthma, mostly due to reduced hospital visits. For children with the most severe asthma, the savings were closer to $60,000. That's because kids with the most severe cases can end up admitted to the hospital dozens of times. That includes Kena Bowen's five-year-old daughter, DeVea.
6: Yeah, like it used to be like every month, back to back.
22: Bowen moved to D.C. when DeVea was an infant so she could get specialized care at Children's National Hospital. Her first apartment was pretty bad, with spiders and large mice everywhere that triggered DeVea's asthma. It was real bad. Yeah, she stayed sick a lot there. Her second apartment was even worse. She says the outside looked like an abandoned house. Inside, there was lots of visible mold, water stains from leaks, rodents, and roaches everywhere. They wasn't just, like, roaches
6: crawling in different areas. It was, like, a pile of roaches in one in my refrigerator when I
22: was cooking. We was getting bit up, and, yeah, it was bad. Bowen says she tried to get the property manager to fix things, but her requests were ignored. And the landlord, like, he didn't respond at all. So she turned to the Children's Law Center for help. Ashley Close was Bowen's attorney. She took the landlord to court. A housing inspector found extensive repairs were needed.
25: The repairs were so bad that she would need to leave for them to actually schedule the repairs. that she couldn't be in the unit because of how extensive the damage was.
22: A lawyer for Bowen's former landlord told NPR in an email that, quote, The landlord did not know that there were repairs needed until the tenant filed a court case. The lawyer said the landlord took action to remedy the situation. Close says the landlord offered to either put her client in a hotel or settle the case. They took the settlement because Kana Bowen was able to move into another unit from the housing subsidy program she relies on. Tracy Goodman of the Children's Law Center says it's often cheaper for landlords to risk paying a fine from the city
23: than it is to make repairs. And we also see that there are instances of owners that are essentially wanting to push out the low-income residents so that they can redevelop and then rent at higher rates or sell the properties for great profit.
22: She says D.C. has a shortage of low-income housing, which makes it all the more important to make sure that when clients do find a place they can afford, it's actually livable. As for Kana Bowen, she says her daughter Devea is doing much better health-wise since they moved into their new apartment last year. She still has serious asthma, but she hasn't been hospitalized in about a year. you catch! On the day I visited, Devea was outdoors playing ball with her dog, Teddy.
14: Teddy, catch! Yes, Teddy!
22: Just like any happy, healthy five-year-old kid. (laughs) Maria Godoy, NPR News.
14: Now everybody's like, jails ain't tough enough. Jails ain't tough enough. We got to have a death penalty. Jails ain't tough
22: enough. To a Fox 26 exclusive, the family of a Houston corrections officer killed at a prison near Huntsville on Monday is learning more about the incident. Fox 26's Domaly Keith joining us live after speaking with the guard's parents.
23: Heartbreaking, Domaly.
20: It's absolutely heartbreaking. And Jovian and Motley's parents had a meeting with the executive director of TDCJ, and they say they appreciate the additional information, but they still want to know why it was so important for guards to go into the cell if the inmate was the only one in there. And they say they still have a lot of questions about how and why their son died.
14: It, it, it
0: has turned my family upside down. Well, my firstborn child, you know what I'm saying? We we haven't had any grandchildren.
20: Since learning their son, 27-year-old corrections officer Jovian Motley was killed at the Wainwright prison Monday while helping to restrain an inmate, Edward and Tamika Motley have been searching for answers. So there were stories that he was choked. There were stories that he hit his head on the toilet and broke his neck. Like, we don't know. We really don't know. I asked the warden. Was he stabbed? Was he hit in the head? In a meeting with the executive director of Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Brian Collier, the Motley's have learned. They confirmed that he was the fourth man, the fourth correction officer to go in from the five-man team. The first person was to take the inmate down. The second person was to restrain an arm. And after the second and third officers cuffed the inmate, the Motley say their son's job was to hold the inmate's legs. A sixth person, they're told, was recording video, a supervisor was observing, and a medical official was standing by. So what happened to Jovian? The Motley's only know their son, who practiced jiu somehow became unresponsive. Collier tells them. So he said that they also want to get to the truth. They want to answer the questions. Um, they want us to have the answers.
0: You know, I, I lost my mom not too so long ago, I'm sorry. and 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 this happened on her birthday. On her
20: birthday, you know? and a day before Jovian's mom's birthday, which the family just celebrated Saturday, as mom and son, seen here, were in a dance off. The family also just returned from a cruise together for Jovian's birthday, and with his sister heading home from the Navy and dad returning from a business trip. They were looking forward to spending Thanksgiving together.
0: I was so excited to come home and spend Thanksgiving with my babies, you know.
20: We'll forever have an empty seat at our dinner table. I- Now, Tamika Motley says she's going to work on getting policies changed so that no one else's family will have to experience the hurt that they are. Now the Office of Attorney Inspector General is also investigating Jovian Motley's death and uh, the family says they also want to view the video that was taken of the incident. They had a chance to see their son briefly just from the neck up but they say they do look forward to being able to uh, examine his entire body to see what type of trauma he suffered. Reporting live I'm Amelie Keith, Fox 26 News.
10: You know, First Ladies usually have a cause, and you've already said you're interested in speaking out against bullying on social
15: media.
20: I think it's very important because a lot of uh, children and teenagers are getting hurt, and we need to teach them how to talk to each other, how to treat each other, and uh, to, to be able to connect with each other on the right way.
10: It's an ironic choice, since her own husband sent
19: out a stream of pretty nasty tweets during the campaign. There is yet more drama at X, the site formerly known as Twitter. The company is suing a media watchdog group called Media Matters. The suit was filed after the nonprofit published a report showing that certain ads had appeared next to pro-Nazi posts. Last week, a number of major companies announced that they would suspend advertising on the platform over concerns about content. Media Matters calls the suit, quote, frivolous. It's been more than a year since billionaire Elon Musk took control of the social media giant, and it has been a roller coaster since. Joining us now to tell us more about all this is Wired senior writer Lauren Good, who's been following this story. Welcome.
23: Thank you so much for having me.
19: So Disney, Apple, and IBM – All said that they were going to stop advertising on X after the Media Matters report and after Elon Musk retweeted a baseless anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on X last week. What's the latest on that? Are any of these advertisers suggesting that they might reconsider?
23: People have been keeping an eye on whether the content on Twitter would change in such a way that it would deter advertisers from spending money to put their ads on X. And I think what we saw last week was a tipping point because not only were these major brands starting to notice that their ads were appearing next to incredibly concerning pro-Nazi content. But Musk himself didn't really help the matter when he endorsed a tweet that was sharing anti-Semitic theories. So this seemed like a bridge too far. And at this point, when you're talking about brands like Disney saying we're going to pause ads, you're talking about brands that have incredible influence. Some of them are actually quite big spenders on X in terms of advertising, and some just have a halo effect where other advertisers are then going to look to them and say, is X a safe place for us to put our marketing spend?
19: How big of a blow is this, or is, it any way, is there any way to know at this point?
23: Well, it's a great question because one of the things, of course, that has changed as Elon Musk has taken over Twitter slash X is that he took the company private. And so it, the company no longer has the responsibility to report quarterly earnings. We have some market research firms and other reports suggesting that, yes, Twitter is not doing so well. But when you see this kind of I don't want to call it an exodus, but these really big brands starting to pause and really sort of take stock of what is going on on X, that can't be good long term for Twitter.
19: What is the basis of Elon Musk's case against media matters? I mean, has he asserted that it is false or or does he have some other argument?
23: Well, when Musk and X filed the lawsuit against Media Matters for America, they were basically alleging that this recent report from Media Matters, which showed the list of big name advertisers, you know, appearing next to anti-Semitic content on X. They said that that report was basically an attempt to, quote unquote, destroy the company by encouraging advertisers to pull their money, so there were actually two reports from Media Matters, right? There was the one that came on November 16th that just showed evidence of here is this problematic content that's appearing directly below or above these ads from big brands, and then there is this ongoing list that Media Matters is maintaining of more and more brands as they start to pull away from X. And so Musk had said basically immediately afterwards that he was planning to go quote unquote thermonuclear on Media Matters. We were to see if the lawsuit would actually come to fruition and in fact on monday x did file this lawsuit but it's still a little bit convoluted in terms of exactly on what basis x is filing this suit except to say that this is an attempt they claim it is an attempt for media matters to destroy Hmm.
7: x
19: that's lauren good she's a senior writer for wired lauren thank you so much for sharing these insights with us
26: thank you very much michelle
7: are you sexually attracted to young boys to underage boys Am I sexually attracted to underage boys?
26: There's been a rise in a particular online scam that's targeting teen boys, a sextortion scam. Scammers are posing as, say, a teenage girl, befriending the boys online, and then soliciting nude photos from them. After the boy complies, the scammer will then threaten to share the photos unless the boy sends them money. Our family and tech columnist, Julie Jargon, has been looking into this, and she
24: joins me now. Julie, can you tell us about a specific incident you learned about? So I recently interviewed a mom in Massachusetts, and this has happened to her son. So back in July, her 15-year-old son heard from what he thought was a teenage girl who followed him on Instagram. They were chatting via direct message and then added each other's friends on Snapchat, and that's where this person shared a photo of a girl with this teenager and asked for one in return. And this teenage boy sent a nude photo of himself to this person. And as soon as he did that, this scammer told him to send $200 and said that if he didn't, his photo would be shared with his Instagram followers. So the boy panicked. He sent $30, $30, then another 40 then another $25 that he cobbled together. He sent it over Apple Cash. And his mom found out that something was going on because she received notifications from Apple um, about these money transfers. And she wondered who he was sending money to. So she asked him about it. And that's when he broke down and explained what had happened.
26: So this sextortion scam, it's not really new. Can you tell us
24: how today's scam differs from the past one? Historically, it usually involved adult predators seeking photographs and videos from minors, and they would leverage one photo that a young person sent to extort more photos. And while that's still going on, there's this new wave of financially motivated sextortion, another evolution of sextortion that law enforcement agencies are now seeing, even in cases where teens don't take the bait. Sometimes these scammers are now threatening to create AI-generated nudes of teens. So this financial extortion, how long has this been happening? So this scam has really taken off in the last year. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received fewer than 10 reports of financial extortion just three years ago. Last year, they received more than 10,000. And so far this year, they've received 12,500
26: you mentioned Instagram and Snapchat earlier. Do we have a sense of which platforms this is happening on?
24: It can happen on a number of platforms, basically anywhere where teens are going, whether it's a gaming platform or any other sort of chat-based platform where people can interact with people they don't know. But in many cases, it can start in in a more open kind of environment, like a a place like Instagram, where people can see one another's followers. And then sometimes the scammer migrates the person to Snapchat because they think that because of the disappearing messages on Snapchat, that's maybe a better venue for sharing these photos and messages. So oftentimes it involves more than one social media platform. Instagram says that they remove content and accounts that attempt to extort harm or solicit inappropriate imagery. And I also spoke to Snap's head of global platform safety, who said that there are bad actors that seek to exploit some of Snapchat's hallmark features. But she said that Snap is determined to make sure that Snapchat is a hostile environment for this kind of activity. I'm sure a lot of parents listening are asking
26: the big question, what can they do to protect their children from these scammers?
24: The first thing which sounds simple, but it's really important to do here, is to talk to your kids. Make sure your kids are aware that these types of scams are out there so that they can learn to spot them and recognize them and put a stop to them. And it's important to advise your kids not to engage with anyone who asks for a nude photo or threatens to create one. It's best just not to respond at all to that person, but block that person and report the incident to the social media platform. Kids should also make sure that their social media passwords are strong and that they have two-factor authentication set up on all their social media accounts. Because one avenue for these extortionists is to hack into people's accounts where they can pull pictures that the kids don't want shared or pull pictures that they can then use to create the fake teenage girl accounts. Snapchat and Instagram have some really good default settings that can make it hard for strangers to find and message teens. But In order for teens to take advantage of that, they need to be honest about their age when they're creating an account. And it's always wise to keep your social media accounts private and only accept friend requests from people you know.
26: And if a parent learns that their child has shared photos, what can they do in that situation?
24: The first thing is to just remain calm, which may feel counterintuitive. Kids are really embarrassed when they realize that they've been duped like this. So if they do, or you find out some way on your own, it's best to just explain that, hey, you know, you made a mistake here, but you are a victim of a crime. So we need to work together to try to resolve this. And so one way to do that is is obviously to report the incident to the social media company. And you can also report it to law enforcement. Most states have Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces, and then the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has a cyber tip line that people can call or access online to report this. And they are staffed by people who will help coordinate law enforcement investigations and also help take down any images that might have been posted. That was our family and tech columnist, Julie Jargon.
0: they will be co workers, you know, work side by side. And all of us working together, we can get it done. Could have told Indians that. Same thing. Some of them did start off with, but then they got attitude. Say, no, we're going to take it all. (laughs) We're going to leave you nothing. Right. (laughs) Indian said, "Well, you know, I thought we were going to share. I mean, you know, that's what we sat down at Thanksgiving. I mean, you know, and say we all work together and all like that. Well, I don't think that's a good idea. I think I need to I think I what I need to do is going back to giving you a good whipping, chief."
23: <laughs>
0: that's all it was. <laughs> Mm. He said, there's plenty of land here for everybody. we got more land than we can take care of and whatnot. So, I mean, we welcome you and all like that. Well, no, I'm going to take it all. (laughs) Give (laughs) you a bottle of whiskey. That's what you're going to get out of the deal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Wow. And that's what they did. They admit that they did it. They wrote books about it, bragged about it. Yeah, how many Indians were killed today, you know? Only good Indians are dead Indians. Mm.
7: Interior Secretary Deb Holland is leading a national effort to find unmarked graves at former Native American boarding schools, and members of the Yakima Nation are doing similar work in central Washington. Correspondent Anna King was there recently as volunteers searched.
10: This is Killy. He's on a mission here at Mool Mool, on Fort Simcoe Historical State Park, outside of White Swan. He's looking for human remains, even thousands of years old. This is Killy's job. A palomino-colored yellow lab, he nearly disappears in the bleached rye and bunch grass. He's been trained for years by his owner and handler, Suzanne Escholt. He's a historical
11: human remains detection dog and he's also certified as a crime scene a human remains detection dog. So this is the work he does. That's
10: what he lives for. Eschult and Killy specialize in buried cold cases and finding even historical remains. She says when humans decompose, they leave behind hundreds of compounds her specially trained dogs can sniff. Essentially, what they are alerting on are the volatile organic compounds that they have been trained to, um, you know, the odor of uh, uh, human remains. Kili is searching for Yakima nation dead. The remains that could be found here might include some from when the site was a long inhabited village or Yakima war dead and even children from when it was turned into a Native American boarding school. There's
27: definitely a lot of layers that comes with these type of projects and work.
10: Emily Washines is a member of the Yakima Nation. She's a historian who helps find missing Native people through a podcast, historical work, and volunteering on this project to find the long lost dead.
27: There are definitely emotions that come about with trying to find answers to this kind of um Historical trauma and things that have taken place or possibly have taken place here
10: on this warm fall day, Washin stands in the shade of an oak tree laced at the very fringe with golden leaves. This place, Momo, has natural springs. There was a village site, and it was a meeting place for well-established trails. Then came the fort, and in eighteen sixty The federal government established a boarding school at Fort Simcoe.
27: So basically some of the places where they were still bringing our people to be hung, now we're bringing our kids right next to that area and asking and telling their kids how to be educated, how to not speak their language to survive.
10: To calm herself and to protect herself from this heavy work, she uses wild rose water.
27: If you look at our cradle boards of infants, the hoop that was over their heads is traditionally made of wild rose. So we believe it has a protection that is from infancy to death.
10: At Fort Simcoe, the volunteer team is also using laptops, mapping tools, and ground-penetrating radar to find more potential burials. Eventually, the data from these searches will be brought to Tribal Council for review. The remains may be left to rest where they
27: are. This work will continue probably beyond my lifetime, is, is a point that I had to get to, um, and upon a, on a lot of reflection and prayer. And what really helped me in that moment is I thought, I think that we, myself, and others that work on this are exactly who our ancestors prayed for to one day help solve and bring to light some of the atrocities and horrible things that happened. Washington says
10: the Yakima Nation wants to honor their dead, give them peace and closure, whatever is decided. At Mool Mool and Fort Simcoe Historical State Park, I'm Anna King.
9: Black babies cost less. Oregon continues to struggle to house the state's most vulnerable children. Child welfare officials have placed kids in hotels and sent them across state lines. Stories of abuse and lawsuits followed. Now, OPB has learned the state is placing dozens of children in short-term rentals, like Airbnbs. The state is paying a lot of money for this new approach, while not offering very much oversight. OPB politics reporter Lauren Dake joins me now to talk more about this. Lauren, hi. Hi, Jeff. In this latest story, you talk to a teenager placed in foster care who is housed in one of these short-term rentals. What can you tell us about
25: her story and what is it that you found compelling? I was writing about kids who were placed in temporary lodging, which I thought meant only hotels until I heard about this teenager who was placed in temporary lodging. That's how the state categorizes it. But she wasn't in a hotel. She was in the Airbnb. Her attorney got this phone call and state officials told him she was moving into permanent housing. He was like, great, wonderful. That's where she wants to be. She wants to be in a family-like setting. She wants out of temporary lodging. Well, this teenager did not move. She stayed at the same short-term rental house in rural Salem. She had the same rotating cast of caretakers watching over her, Only one of them got certified as a foster parent, and the state told the attorney the child was no longer in temporary housing. So despite nothing in this kid's life actually changing, the state could stop looking for a real family-like situation because now, on paper, she was in permanent housing.
9: (sighs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us about this company that you focused on. It's called Dynamic Life Incorporated. What is it, and how did it get started?
25: Dynamic Life is this religious nonprofit founded by a man in Kaiser, Oregon named Nathan Weber. He's an evangelical minister. He's been a foster parent, and he seemingly sort of fell into this rather lucrative deal with a state. In the past year, he's hired something like a 100 staff, some of them who go into short-term rental homes and stay with kids who are at risk of temporary lodging or who are already in hotels. In the last 12 months, the state of Oregon has paid his company more than $7.75 million. In the case of the kid I talked about earlier, the the teenager, all the people watching her in that house were Dynamic Life staffers. Even the foster mom was a Dynamic Life staffer. And the house where she was at was also owned by Dynamic Life or Nathan Weber.
9: Huh. So what do advocates have to say about this arrangement?
25: There are a handful of reasons why this is raising some red flags for people. One, just the money. The state's contract with Dynamic Life says that they can be paid up to $2,900 per day per child. Almost $3,000 per day. That is a lot of taxpayer dollars. Mm. Just to compare that to what they pay foster parents, they pay foster parents $795 per month for a teenager. Yeah. A big discrepancy. And then there are issues of training and regulations. Dynamic Life says that they're offering great therapeutic training to the staff they're hiring before they put the staff in these houses with really vulnerable kids. Generally, when kids are placed in group homes, the staffs are professionals who have been trained to interact with vulnerable kids. But without state oversight, there's just a lot of questions.
9: What does the company have to say about all this?
25: Well, After questions from OBB and the attorneys, the company said they're working with child welfare to possibly become licensed as a child caring facility, which means that there could be a lot more um, regulations and oversight for them. This company has grown enormously in the past year, and I think that they're really hoping that they can keep growing. But this story, it's not so much about this one company. It uses Dynamic Life to try and illustrate how, Child welfare in the state is really in need of a broader, systemic-wide approach to taking care of vulnerable children. The agency is often criticized, and that must be hard because their job is hard. But they also keep operating from this point of seeming desperation where they make really questionable decisions. They put kids in out-of-state institutions known for widespread abuse. They put them in hotels, which most people agree is not a great solution. And now they're in these short-term rentals that are not licensed with very little oversight and every questionable decision they make well you know that's a kid's life it's their childhood they don't have time for child welfare to figure out how to get this right
9: lauren thanks for this thank you jeff that's opb politics reporter lauren dake check out the full story and all of our political news at opb.org
13: a teen in foster care died after ear infection when untreated his siblings are suing Mo. The siblings of a 15-year-old Missouri boy who died two years ago have filed a wrongful death lawsuit, alleging his foster family allowed an ear infection to go untreated, leading to his death from sepsis. The lawsuit contends both the foster parent and state social services were negligent. The lawsuit, filed November 7 in the Western District of Missouri, is seeking at least $75,000 in compensatory and punitive damages in a case an attorney for the plaintiffs called both awful and heartbreaking. According to the lawsuit, Marcus Haynes was diagnosed with an ear infection on September 8, 2021. His foster parent and the care provider were ordered by Marcus's doctor to return to the ER promptly if his condition worsened. The suit alleges that both failed to bring Marcus to a doctor or other medical care provider between September 9 and November 28, 2021. On November 29, EMS workers responded to a call from the foster parent. According to the suit, the teenager was found lying on a bedroom floor, where he had defecated on himself. Paramedics tried to find a pulse and performed CPR for 30 minutes, court records show. Paramedics transported Marcus to Research Medical Center, where doctors also tried to resuscitate him without success and pronounced him dead. According to court documents, Marcus died from sepsis caused by an ear infection that had spread throughout his body. Awful and heartbreaking. According to the family's lawyer, Kevin M. Carney Jr., the case is the most egregious case of child abuse and neglect he has encountered. It's one of the worst I've seen for a kid to be found the way he was. The neglect is just awful and heartbreaking, Carney told the star. Carney said he hopes the lawsuit will help shed light on a child care system that he contends is broken and ultimately failed Marcus. The teen's four surviving siblings, identified in court documents as Darius Jackson, Dylan Sago, Brianna Williams, and Devin Jackson, filed their wrongful death lawsuit this month, two years after their brother's death. Named as defendants in the suit are the Missouri Department of Social Services, the Missouri Alliance for Children and Families LLC, Alicia Dickerson, the teenager's case manager, Antonio Clark, the foster parent, and Shaykina Dawkins, the child's respite care provider. The siblings are seeking damages for the harms and losses he has suffered, for his costs incurred herein, for attorney's fees, and for any further relief this court deems just improper. The suit alleges the Missouri Department of Social Services knowingly placed Marcus with unfit foster parents, and failed to ensure that Marcus was brought back to his doctor as they had been instructed when his ear infection worsened. All of these factors, according to the suit, contributed to his wrongful death. An attorney for the plaintiff said they will likely seek way in excess of the $75,000 currently listed in the suit for damages. Under Missouri statute, survivorship damages incurred by the decedent before death, such as medical expenses and pain and suffering are recoverable as part of wrongful death claim. The suit contends the Missouri Department of Social Services was negligent and had a responsibility to safeguard his well-being because he was unable to do so himself. According to the lawsuit, both DSS and the Missouri Alliance for Children and Families were responsible for selecting, hiring, training, and supervising Marcus's caregivers and all entities responsible for ensuring his care. Reached by phone Thursday, a spokeswoman for the DSS declined comment on the lawsuit. The department doesn't comment on pending litigation, said Caitlin Whaley, communications director. A phone message left Friday for the Missouri Alliance for Children and Families was not returned. This story was originally published November 20, 2023, 6 a.m.
12: The Man Not,
3: Race, Class, Genre, and the Dilemmas of Black Manhood. We're continuing our series from Radio Diaries about those buried in America's largest public cemetery on New York's Heart Island. Back in 1995, Lamont Dotton was a 21-year-old freshman at Queens College when one evening he didn't come home. Within 48 hours, his mother was at a local police precinct trying to report him missing. His name was added to a pile of thousands of cases that the NYPD's missing persons squad was supposed to investigate, and Lamont's case fell through the cracks. This is a story about the New York City Police Department and a woman's search to find out what happened to her son.
5: It took me 30 days to get him officially reported missing. My name is Dr. Anita Fowler, and Lamont Dotton was my son who went missing in 1995. I remember walking in to the precinct. There the was a full room of people scurrying around while I was talking to a man who was being very nonchalant with me. Now, here I am a mother trying to report my one and only child missing. And no matter what I said, he says, No, take my word for it. He'll be home soon, you know. He was considered an adult. And then I called at least twice a week. At night, because that's when they would work the shift for uh, missing persons. One day turning into two days, and two days turning into three days, and unbelievably, months.
21: The missing persons squad at that time was in a state of disrepair. There was no work being done on cases. Record keeping wasn't good. I'm Philip Mahoney. I was the commanding officer of the Missing Persons Squad in the New York City Police Department from 1998 to
28: 2000. My name's Cameron Brown. I was a detective in the Missing Persons Department from 1997 to 2002. The amount of case law that each individual detective had there was amazing. And there was not a lot of investigation. They didn't have... Vehicles for us to actually go out and do the interviews. It was just mostly phone calls at that point. You know, hi, this is Detective Brown. You made a report on so-and-so missing. Did they come home? No, they didn't. Okay, thank you.
21: I remember looking at this spreadsheet of open missing person cases. It just went on for like 100 pages.
5: This article is from the Daily News, November 21st, 1995. Harless resident, Arnita Fowler, hadn't had time to prepare for Thanksgiving. She's been too busy checking city hospitals, the morgue, and jails in a desperate search for her 21-year-old son. I was known as a one-woman search party. I'm creating my own press conferences. I've learned how to write press releases on the fly. I would look in every homeless person's face as I walked the streets. I go, was that crazy? But I know that I could not live the rest of my life not knowing if he was out there. I was 17 when I had my son, and everything I did evolved around him. We were always together. And I know he was saying, my mom's going to find me.
21: I became lieutenant and commanding officer of the Missing Persons Squad in 1998. Then I immediately tried to organize the missing person squad. And so we appointed a couple of people to go through that list, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of active cases that had accumulated over the years, page by page, name by name, and find out what happened to these people that the missing person squad never followed up on.
28: It felt good. I was actually out doing investigations and had two or three cases from, you know, the 50s.
21: They would start with very basic checks, fingerprint checks, and so on. We did find a lot of people through routine checks.
5: I spent four years looking for my son. And then this one particular night, I picked up the phone in frustration and called. And this same man who had been telling me no, it was the same guy. He said, Sure, we'll meet you. And when they came, it was a lady officer. She said they had discovered that they hadn't dotted every I and crossed every T.
21: Okay, so I'm reading from a missing persons report. The report says that the missing person was found floating in the river October 1995 and after that. So
5: apparently, so eight days after floated, Lamont went missing, they found his body. And their process required them to submit fingerprints. To
21: identify him through fingerprints, which could be difficult if they were in the water for a long time.
5: And the FBI matched it with an arrest that was made. He was arrested for a stolen car when he was in high school. But the NYPD never followed up for results of that identification until 1999, four years later.
21: On this date, the deceased was identified as Amad Doughton through fingerprints. In view of the facts stated above, the undersigned recommends that this case be marked closed.
5: I couldn't imagine that this is the outcome after four years. I don't know how he died. I do not believe it was suicide. And there was no blood force trauma. Nothing indicating foul play. This is the paper that shows where my son was buried at in Hearts Island. There's no name, it just says Mel. To bury my son in a place as though he had no one. And it shows the date of death and the day he was exhumed four years later.
28: I remember opening the paper and seeing the picture of the body and the horse-drawn carriage going around. Queens. I was like, wow, we had that case. Look, and we're all looking at it. I just can't imagine any of my children not coming home or not knowing what happened to them. This is uh, the Daily News, September, September 21st, 1999. Student laid to rest.
5: Four years after being buried in a papa's grave, a missing Queens student was finally given a proper burial yesterday and it was a perfect funeral he was drawn by two horses in a, a carriage and the casket itself is all white like the horses it is what I believe that he deserved nothing but the best I needed memories to be something that you could reflect on who he was the prince that he was to
3: mean. Following years of advocacy by Fowler, New York State passed a law in 2016 requiring police to expedite searches for missing adults. It's called Lamont-Dotton's Law. And some news. After more than a century of Heart Island being mostly off-limits, the New York City Parks Department has announced they are starting public tours this week. This story was produced by Elisa Escarce and the Radio Diaries team. To hear the other stories in the Unmarked Graveyard series, visit the Radio Diaries podcast.
14: College don't mean shit. Y'all
16: niggas, and you're going to be niggas forever, just like us,
1: niggas.
18: A Colorado Spring School is removing a history lesson on the N-word from the classroom. The removal comes after a mother contacted our
22: KRDO 13 investigates team, and we started asking questions.
7: Atlas Preparatory Middle School students were taught the lesson that's now being condemned by the Rocky Mountain NAACP. KRDO 13 investigator Sean Rice is live tonight outside the school in southeast Colorado Springs after speaking with the mother who confronted administrators there. Sean?
29: Yeah, Barton Heather, this lesson plan we're about to show you is no longer being taught inside the classroom. The 16 page packet given to students spells out the N word a total of 32 times. Today, the school's administration says that the packet was given to students to provide the historical usage of the word before the students read the novel To Kill a Mockingbird, which uses the racial slur throughout. But tonight, it being given to students has prompted one Colorado Springs mother who has three kids here in this school to remove them entirely.
6: I was in disbelief. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It it was very disturbing.
29: Jasmine Roberson's three kids attended Atlas Preparatory School in Colorado Springs until last week. She pulled them from class there after these worksheets were given to students featuring the N word over and over again.
6: They don't need to be learning this. You know, that was very, Still unbelievable.
29: The Atlas Preparatory School packet features excerpts of two essays written by black authors about the history, context, and current day use of the word. In one essay examining the ways the word has been used to quote, dehumanize black people, the author says, what do you call an N-word on a bike? Quote, a thief. Adding, how do you stop an N-word from going into your backyard? Quote, hang them in the front yard.
6: This day and age now, it's gonna be 2024. Shouldn't nobody have to go through that? And I don't, I don't, I don't think that they're going to
29: change. But the school is making changes. Atlas Prep's administrators say they've removed the lesson plan entirely. After declining an on-camera interview, their executive director tells CARDIO 13 investigates. Teachers never said the word and prohibited students from saying it too. The school's director says the goal of the lesson was to help students understand the word's historical context and the harm it can cause.
5: We're not going to print it. We're
25: not gonna review it, we're not gonna study it, we're not gonna analyze, we're not gonna look at it.
29: Portia Prescott from the NAACP agrees. She says reiterating the word even in an educational setting should be avoided at all costs. Tonight, Roberson says she's left searching for a new school where they can feel safe.
6: I fear for my children growing up in Colorado Springs. I fear for their safety. I fear because the color of their skin. And I fear how ignorant people can be. And I don't want them to take anything out on my kids. So I'm gonna do my best to try to protect my babies.
29: The charter school tells me they're now reviewing their processes to ensure this quote, never happens again. Today, the Colorado Department of Education, when we reached out to them for comment, but we didn't hear back. Reporting live outside Atlas Middle School, Sean Rice, CARE DO, 13 Investigates. Sean, thanks. <laughs>
15: And it deals with New York Mayor Adams, who is now facing a lawsuit claiming that he, was sexu- or that he sexually assaulted a woman back in 1993. The woman says she was a city employee when she was sexually assaulted by Mr. Adams, who was a police captain for the NYPD at the time. Just a short time ago, Mayor Adams responded to those allegations. And Eyewitness News reporter Tom Negavin has been following these breaking details this morning. He joins us now from the Lower East Side. So, Tom, what do we know?
17: Well, we know the mayor says he had nothing to do with this. He doesn't know this woman, and through a spokesman, says this just simply never happened. In fact, he made those denials uh, in person to our Crystal Cranmore earlier today. That in a moment. First, the mayor's next stop on his Thanksgiving Day tour of the city here at the Bowery Mission on the Lower East Side. He'll appear around 1 o'clock this afternoon, help to hand out some Thanksgiving meals. But, of course, following him today, some controversy. He is absolutely not thankful for at all. It goes back three decades to nine. 90- 1993 when he was an NYPD captain and it is alleged that he sexually assaulted a woman who we are not naming the suit claiming she too was a city employee at that time the suit seeking five million dollars in damages again a spokesperson for the mayor immediately responding this morning saying he has no knowledge of this woman or these allegations the mayor offering this denial in person to eyewitness news just a short time ago Absolutely not true. Uh, you know, I would, I would, I would never do anything to harm uh, anyone, and uh, just really, uh, say, you know, my career speaks for itself, and uh, just really, uh, it's just something absolutely that that has never happened, and I, I don't even re- recall ever uh, meeting the person who made uh, the uh, this uh, allegation. The lawsuit against the mayor, one of about 2,500 made under the New York State Adult Survivors Act, which expires at midnight tonight. It removes the statute of limitations for lawsuits filed by alleged victims of sexual assault. Among the other prominent names facing lawsuits in the waning hours of the act, Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jamie Foxx, Bill Cosby, and rocker Axel Rose. Again, the mayor appearing here at the Bowery Mission around 1 o'clock this afternoon continuing to deny the allegations in the lawsuit filed. Five,
29: four, three. She's pure alligator. Pure white.
22: Two. Albinos that do make it to reproductive age can't find a mate because they look funny. One.
14: Albino. Al-
7: One special animal for you to meet. She is literally... One in a million.
11: That's her call.
7: In the treetops behind Kimberly Cummings' Tampa home is something extraordinary.
11: Pearl, right here. Good girl.
7: An albino squirrel that Kimberly has named Pearl.
11: She's like, la la la, I am an albino squirrel. (laughs) She knows that she's special.
7: Just how special is Pearl? So rare that there is no accurate estimate on the number of albino squirrels. But one expert we spoke with said he has spent four decades seeking out and researching squirrels, and he's only seen two albinos in the wild. This is the closest she's ever been. (laughs) Pearl first showed up at Kimberly's back window in April
11: was right in front of me and my heart was beating fast my emotions were immediately peaked
7: since then she's been coming back every morning
11: she flies across the fence to to see us
7: and every evening like clockwork well almost
11: she was early today of course because i told her you were coming
7: (laughs) kimberly and her husband bill have gone to great lengths to make pearl feel right at home
11: we had a house built for her She sits on top of it. I mean, we have lost our minds. And plus all this is because I don't have any grandchildren. So she probably knew that.
7: Pearl even has her own Instagram page.
11: Because everyone needs to be happy. And even though you may not be sitting here watching this experience, you can see it happen people are like i wake up every morning to see pearl
7: kimberly knows with wildlife tomorrow is never promised especially when you stand out from the crowd so they enjoy every moment they get with their unique neighbor.
11: good morning the fact that she came out just now is perfect and if she comes out tomorrow oh my gosh
7: pearl the perfect name for an animal that is both a shade of white you need and a, a rare girl. treasure
11: the whole thing is crazy fun and wonderful come on start over
7: come on i know right pretty good if you want to check out pearl's instagram it's pearl the squirrel 2023 i just gave her an extra follower there
12: Ooh, man oh man pearl the squirrel remember earl the pearl munro he's all done now they <laughs> called him Earl, yeah. we don't do that. Get on out of here. Get on out of here. Yeah, I think he's in the in the top seventy-five basketball players all time. Earl the Pearl, ah. Pearl the Squirrel. Context of white supremacy. Undignified Negro. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, November 25, 2023. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call in dial in. If you have observations, questions, counter racist suggestions to uh, to share the number 605. Three one three five one six four the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate number again six oh five three one three five one six four the code five six four, four pounds press star 61 if you would like to participate few things to share uh, or many things to share will nab our folks who dialed in and all that good stuff as well uh, book club for Thursday you can always check uh, for twitter other social media spots facebook meta uh to see when we will have our upcoming programs always post there uh to give people an alert so you'll have advance notice always at the same time 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific but certainly we will be here for the book club which was ironic because they went through thanksgiving holiday with mike swango uh this past week right on the very day turkey day for us anyway uh First of all, get to some of the notes from the audio. Uh, They had the segment with the $2 billion allocation from the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, And they had Michael S. Regan, black male victim of white supremacy. They had him go out and tell the people that they were going to do this plan and specifically to remedy toxification, environmental racism. Uh, areas with large populations of non-white people. Now we've talked about A Terrible Thing to Waste, some of the other books uh, that we've talked about even this very year uh, in talking about how black people uh, have been subject to these sort of uh, toxic poisoned environments Flint, Michigan, Newark uh, and Jackson can't drink the water, can't flush the toilet, can't take a shower all the rest of it and then asthma and all these other problems brain health talked about all of that in detail and so epa two billion dollars we're going to see if we can solve this problem now one i saw immediate white people online like what do what so-called environmental is this the epa getting woke on us what that sort of thing and then even the follow-through like many white people have even talked about when they get out here want to pretend that they're into green so-called politics and solar and let's stop polluting and take care of the planet, be proper custodians of Earth. When they pretend to be about all of this, they will come out uh, and say, hey, man, the the EPA, they don't have enough bite metaphor. You know, they need to, to have more power to, to enforce these regulations and to take punitive action when these corporations, white people, go out here and are polluting and contaminating the planet. So we'll have to see how this even some of this is happening. Cancer Alley in Louisiana, the EPA, they just reversed course and they're not going to pursue... Further litigation about all of this in Louisiana nicknamed Cancer Alley, exactly what they're talking about with this uh, $2 billion project. That was just within the last couple of months that that announcement came that, no, we're not going to pursue anything further at this time, even though that's long documented what's been happening to black residents down in Cancer Alley. Uh, And that could even be racial showcasing to have a black male, Michael Regan, excuse me, Regan, R-E-G-A-N, have him be out front and center to make this announcement, either to get white people riled up and angry. uh, So this is what they think of and they think of the EPA uh, or just lots of ways. I just all of that. Very curious. That'll be one we have to pay attention to environmental racism. Very serious. Uh, The segment that they had on Roger Murphy. Uh, the. Were these murders of black people, that's what uh, I was thinking when they were talking about uh, this is in St. Louis, Missouri, Roger Murphy uh, is or he's a retired enforcement officer. He's upset because they have so-called progressive prosecutors, alliteration. Watch that word uh, progressive. I think that might be in the word God I don't have in front of me, so I'm not wagering, not definitive, but might be. Uh, but either way, that would be a word to watch, progressive. Exactly what do you mean when you say progressive? What does a progressive do that no one else does? So Roger Murphy, enforcement officer, retired, he's upset about these progressive prosecutors and he's upset about the fact that specifically they have questioned his credibility even suggesting that he might have done or said some racist things he said you know what forget all you're not going to mark firm in me metaphor have me up on have you ever not going through all that I seen run uh, run of his life people vs. OJ I seen it man I got Fox so I'm not testifying no thank you Dang,
23: you're retired. I, I,
12: I'm retired, yep, and I'm still not doing it. That's what old Roger Murphy said. Got these old woke prosecutors, and I'm done with it. Dang, now I even thought for a second that might be logical because I mean, yeah, I did see what happened to Mark Furman, and if he's on the credibility list, oh man, pff, I don't know if I'm gonna have OJ, I mean, Johnny Cochran. F. Lee Bailey. But man, even if I got a public defender, if I know anything about the credibility, look, look here, look here, look here. Ask him, has he ever said Negro? <laughs> Like, Ask him about the, the credibility. Like, man, I'm going to be writing down questions left and right. Oh, my God. So I could see the logic of why Mr. Murphy might. Yeah, I'm done. Oh, what murder? What I was thinking these cases that he's not going to testify and he acknowledges this might mess things up for the prosecutor are these murders of black people where you're not going to testify hmm because they do kill a lot of black people in Missouri Mike Brown Michael Brown Jr. now they continued they talked about other woke prosecutors excuse me progressive prosecutors Kim Fox in Chicago she was involved in the Jussie Smollett case remember that one? Black male paid these folks and all that anyway uh, they said they were calling her Crimea. they had this secret forum online and they're calling this black female victim of white supremacy prosecutor no less Crimisha with three X's and saying that hey if your daughter's Get assaulted and raped, maybe you'll be about prosecuting crime then. Hmm. Wow. What does it mean to be white? And again, the master name callers are classified as white. Crimea. Uh, they said these old progressive prosecutors that they have a problem with. Old-fashioned policing. What does that mean? I was expecting them to use the old tacky metaphor, the old boys' network and all that, but they're an old-fashioned. But what What does that mean? Is that like, is that like Ed Burr or John Burr, excuse me, since we're talking Chicago? Is that like John Burr, old-fashioned uh, electric cow prod to the testicles? You did it. Say you did it. Say you did it. Is that, is that what you mean when you say old-fashioned policing Chicago style? Maybe I'm confused. Uh, and they say and they said they got our verb in emboldened. Emboldened. Actually I think that's an adjective the way it's being used here. Some police believe criminals are emboldened by the progressive prosecutors. At most of the time when I hear that term used, it's used to describe white people. January 6th and that sort of thing. I haven't, this is a rare one. Right up there with the pearl, the albino squirrel. Kind of rare. Negros? Any of you all feeling emboldened? Anyway for illegal behavior even specifically, go out and commit some criminal activity. Let's see. The report about racism in the police department. Oh, man, down in Southern Calo. I love San Diego. Woo, Corona Beach right next to uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, they said allegations of racism in the department, blah, 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 big whoop. specifically they said that hey they have us in here lying on the police reports for the police chief's son i said whoa 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 we just talked about that yesterday caller in florida said he was at the courthouse doing his job white woman came in she got a rap sheet a mile long literally and said well you know my dad he was on the police department so he used to help me get things taken care of you know they wouldn't they wouldn't throw the book at me you know it's, she had like a 40 year record of crime i said yesterday i said man how many how many niggers you think work on the police department and they got children running wild committing crimes felonies all that and they can just go tell their buddies down at the precinct, like, "Hey, that's it. Junior's been giving me fits." You know, I, I don't know what. To do. I just, just, we'll take care of. That. I, I'll get you. I'll get you. I'll make a, I'll make it up to you. I'll, I'll buy you dinner. I'll buy you dinner. Your wife will go out. It'll be great. It's on me. That's, damn kids! <laughs> hey, come on! Come on! Come on! Come on. That's the that's the Murdoch thing, uh incidentally, down in South Carolina. Now he wasn't a police officer, but he was uh attorney down in there. Alec Murdoch talked about all that, mm. Uh let's see. The jo- Jovian Motley, privileged black male, he worked uh at the correctional facility in Texas, Houston area. I saw that we just literally had a black male. He wrote in talking about now this was talking about a juvenile facility where uh, there was rampant understaffing and abuse and all the rest of it. Unsafe work conditions. And he wrote in and said, oh, yeah, I can verify that. And it's poor training and understaffing. And we would work all this overtime and they would make jokes about abusing the children and just, you know, horrendous. You can make a lot of money, though. He said that too. all that overtime. Literally, this was days ago, and so then I see this report, Jovian Motley, now he was a correctional officer. He wasn't even an inmate. And he dies. And then you heard his parents, they can't even find out. Well what happened? Was he stabbed? Was he choked? Electric cattle pride? Was it his fellow officers who did this? What happened to him? Lord works in mysterious ways, Will, you know. Black male privilege. We just talked about the danger of these environments and they and they even prior to me even knowing who Jovian Motley, J-O-V-I-A-N Motley, I'd never heard that name before, but that was included previously that it's dangerous for both the inmates, even children, and the staff. Next, uh, they were talking about Oregon and we heard a number of reports, Oregon, Missouri, talking about the foster care system. Uh, and it's many failures. Man, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, all the time. No throwaway offspring. Child psychiatrist, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, No throwaway offspring. No throwaway offspring. Pile up the foster care system with Negro children. Throw away offspring. That is exactly what she talked about. You, now, you heard up in Oregon stuff you into a hotel or whatever. Permanent placement, we're good. That sound like, you know, optimal development? Breeding ground for a future president, senator, astronaut, universal woman, permanent placement in the hotel at 14? In Missouri, and then they got the Dynamic Life Incorporated with Nathan Weber, I suspect a white man, the evangelical minister, and they got their million dollar industry about all of this. Reminded me of Jerry Sandusky and all the rest of it. Like, really, that's what we want to do? Throw away children so that old Nathan Weber get his hands on these children. Remember that white family? Matter of fact, they got children from Texas. And I think Missouri. Went up there in Oregon and killed all of them. The
16: family annihilators. That
12: was two white women. Think they went all to the LGBTQ-ness? That's foster care. That's literally, literally throw away children. Privileged black male, Marcus Haynes, he was in the foster care system in Missouri. 15-year-old privileged black male, Marcus Haynes died from an ear infection. You're in the foster care system. You got medical coverage. No big deal. Just, you know, take him to the ear infection. That's all they said. Hey, I think at 15, if you're really lazy about it. it, Hey, man, I, I know that's I can't be doing a doctor's office a day, man. That swango report shook me up, man. here you go let me get you uh here we go we got the uber set up man let me know maybe we'll come pick you up i don't know we'll probably just get an uber then too because i just you know that swango thing really yeah i just i can't go to the hospital we got the, the ubers outside there you go let us know how it goes you could at least do that right send them off to the appointment you're grown you're 15 close enough you got it privileged black male you got it and then they come on back you can't even do that Ear infection, like literally, that's what, ear infection. (sighs) Throw away children. I'm sure everybody knew Marcus Haynes' name, right? Privileged black male. So we all have 15 hashtags and send a financial contribution if we're able to support the Haynes family and their legal efforts, right? Mm Hmm. Mm incidentally they have a picture of uh, Mr. Haynes handsome young fella uh, he's got his Los Angeles Lakers jersey on see ball player maybe uh, let's see then yeah, didn't they just pile him up boom 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 different privileged black male Lamont Dotton L-A capital M-O-N-T Dotton D-O-T-T-I-N goes missing They use that tacky metaphor. Dang, the police said that they they didn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's for old Lamont dotting. Said his mother went to the police station to report old Lamont missing. Yeah, 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 Leroy's. Yeah, Yeah, Leroy's gone. Mm, Yeah. So I guess uh, you want us to look for Leroy? Mm-hmm. Oh, you say it's Lamont? Yes, Lamont. I, I'm sorry. I got yes. Okay. So we're gonna look for the uh, what is it? Lamont? Yes. We're gonna look for Lamont? Yes. Uh, hmm. Probably out snorting crack. Eh. <laughs> like what in the world? And then you find out for you. Oh, yes, he's. The-. I went and looked back. I said, "Man, am I being retarded? What exactly happened to?" Lamont Dotton, I got he stole a car and probably raped a white woman. I got all that. That's how they identify. The, but like, what happened to him? Did he slip and fall? Was he killed? Suicide? Like, what? What happened to him? We, <laughs> The Lord works in mysterious ways. Okay. Then they we get through all of that and, you know, we got to get all this. Even that. What happened to him? Did I miss that? Did I get caught up in all the the whiteness of the funeral did i get caught up in all that symbolism like what happened to him Privileged blackmail uh we heard, man colorado again all year long colorado again that was colorado springs specifically where they had the lesson plan nigra in there some 32 times and they had... Did you hear the racist... Man... I would have... It would have been hard them to come by. Brother Gus... We you know you got some radical ideas and such, but it looks like they are talking about racism up at the school, Brother Gus. Uh, will you help us sign the petition to get them to take out the racist language at the school? Like, oh, sure, brothers and sisters, what is it? example, well, they got all these racist jokes. Got the one that say, what do you call a Negro on a bike? Thief. Man, if I could have kept myself from cracking up. I would have had to get my composure. Cousins. Maybe we should leave this in there. Let me hear the rest of the jokes. (laughs) "Let Let me hear the rest of the jokes. Let's see. They said, how do you stop a Negro from breaking into the backyard? Hang him in the front. I've heard that one before, cousins. I've heard that one before. Yeah. man they would have had to twist my arm metaphor cousins I'm going to have to hold out on this one I think we should leave it in I really do if they got any more racist jokes please leave them in the lesson plan and in fact cousins we should all go to school and sit in class for that lesson don't say anything don't add any stories. Just sit and listen. Maybe ask a question. Maybe ask a question. What does a nigra mean exactly? Maybe ask a question, but it would have been hard to get me to. They, they got racist jokes in the I would have been looking at my child like, having <laughs> an mean, like, no, he's been. Dad has been killing us about this all the time. No, oh, uh, all right, all right, all right. Maybe Dad is not crazy. All right. <laughs> Everybody that would have been around me, like, see, 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 see. Mm-hmm. Souls of White Jokes, Raúl Perez. Anyway, uh, Colorado, she said, and the parents said that they didn't feel say, sister. You're not safe. That's why you need to leave the racist jokes in there. You're not safe. Man, I felt Isaiah Scholes, man. It reminded me so much of his parents. Oh, my God. You are not safe. The spirit of Dill and Reb is alive and well. You're not safe. And your child should know that. Leave the racist jokes in the curriculum. Uh, Let's see. Oh, and they said context. Oh, I love it. I love it. And she even, she added my phrase, the victim, uh, black female, the parent, she said, uh, it's almost 2024. <laughs> yep. 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 Wait, right. <laughs> Unless we correct our behavior, we'll be saying it's almost 3034. And they are still telling Negro. Yep. 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 Anywho, uh, and then we got the albino uh, squirrel at the end. I cannot quickly, the segment with Eric Adams being uh, accused of sexual harassment. Now, we already heard about the sheriffs in uh, Broward County and everything that old crime can box up in Chicago. Uh, and the rest of these black people who elected officials and such. Uh, uh, Marilyn Mosby just got convicted down in Maryland. I have seen these sort of patterns before where it will seem all within the same year or within a short time span there will be a lot of elected, black elected officials uh, who get accused or convicted and just, oh, total catastrophe. Uh, Could be another example of racial showcasing to just show if you have black people in charge. Oh, catastrophe. Just the worst apocalyptic downfall and they steal and loot everything. That sort of uh, that sort of thing. I have no idea what Eric Adams did, didn't do. But man, that is like double whammy because he was just accused days ago, literally of uh, financial malfeasance uh, with can- campaign contributions, potentially uh, from some sort of foreign official that's still being investigated. Don't know how that's going to go. He's denied all wrongdoing there. And then to have these charges and then they said the comp- bill cause like, oh, my God. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr., man. Oh. oh, I think they listed all black people, black males, privileged all the way, and then Axel Rose. Negro by association. <laughs> like, whoo. Anyway, and then we had Pearl the Squirrel. Uh, all of that said, I have to make sure I address uh issue that has been consistent, rather widespread. Two of these my summation 14 years of broadcasting two of the things that are most widespread that I most expect in dealing with other victims of white supremacy name calling of black people almost exclusively inaccuracies we are not scientific at all that's exactly what Neely Fuller Jr. said uh, his fourth visit to the cows december of 2009 right at the beginning of the month 2009 december right when tiger woods was having his difficulty Surprised he wasn't on that list anyway but we are not scientific at all we are not we we do not have an appreciation for being accurate that with that's my phrase fuller says follow the logic i say strive for accuracy. That is so important for so many reasons. We are in a system that is dominated, dominated by deception, lies. One of the things that makes it really difficult for someone who is a dedicated master deceiver is accuracy. Everyone being accurate. Their use of words, documentation, records, being accurate about things. Like I said, that is a tall order and I fail myself. I've said consistently, hey, just striving to be accurate. And because information changes, it has to be updated. Just being accurate yourself will generally keep you busy. It does for me. Consistently with regards to uh counter racist concepts uh talking about counter racist concepts, what I see most often name calling other not name calling other black people exclusively inaccuracies in what we're talking about, and one of the key inaccuracies it'll be non white people that we don't agree with we're not accurate at minimum. I said this for years quote many non-white people all over the universe have been killed just because they spoke about white supremacy racism and that was enough for white people to kill them just on that basis alone even you can take Dr. King many non-white people did not agree with Dr. King's views on racism even while he was alive call them names too Minister Malcolm X, many, 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 many more. Call them names and the whole shebang, and then, bang, he gets killed. There are many other illustrations, but it's lots of them, where non-white people, even those where we don't even agree with their views on racism and counter-racism, even they can be killed or harmed for just speaking out, talking about white supremacy racism. Just for that reason alone, and like I said before, most of how this system is operated is by deception. Accuracy works to neutralize deception. Now, all of this starts with an error. They just continue, so I'm just trying to pick which error to begin with. beginning of the week, I go to check and it will frequently be people will go online, they will quote myself, they'll quote other non white people uh they will seem as though they are you know supporters, you know, I'm sharing your work, your concepts, that sort of thing, and they will be inaccurate now. The most recent, when I saw this at the beginning of the week, someone had posted, I believe it's on our Apple uh, podcast uh, page. It says, Gus T., and it's got the quotes and everything, like oh, they're trying to be precise and scientific about all this. Uh, and it says, The problem with black people is white people. I do not say that. I say, the problem is white people. That's what I've said. We get to February. 15 years. Dr. Robert Jensen is one of the first guests that we had when we got back on the air in 2009. He was with us March 2009. It's right in his book, The Heart of Whiteness. We talked about all that. He explained that specifically, and it's been literally branded in massive, all capital letters on the front of our podcast. If you download it, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podbean, any of the other podcast uh, feeds that are out there, the image is right on the front the problem is white people in fact in Yame in Nebraska got us a sound clip there was a protest around the time of George Floyd 2020 and it was a white guy leading the protest and he yelled out the problem we have been the problem for 400 years the problem is white people and they went yeah, and he said it again and they cheered and I, I said that for years I said now when I say that it's a problem when white people say Robert Jensen is great, excellent scholar, counter-racist stud. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I do not say the problem with black people is white people, and I would not say that. Unless somebody can find, like, the exact, like, I thought about this for a week. Unless the context was somebody saying that the problem with black people is fried chicken or we're undignified, something like that. Then I could see a logical response being, no, the problem with black people is white people. Bing, absolutely and that would be accurate i could see me saying that but like i do not to have that up as a quote like yeah T says it no the problem is white people and that is substantially different because one black people are not the only people on the planet having a problem with white people that's evidenced by the news report that we heard so-called native people can't find all these children long legacy of that the only good Indian is a dead Indian that sounds like the lynching joke that they shared Australia we just had Dr. Robert Kaplan on the program had demanded that they be referred to as Aborigines that would be one and even beyond the people component all that about the EPA man the fishes the non albino squirrels all the other plants and animals on the animal uh, on the planet they are suffering too they're contaminating the water and all of that. Dr. Kanban has talked about that we 're supposed to be custodians of the planet, man, like white people are causing a problem that is far beyond people who are classified as white. Dr. Wellson calls this our cosmic assignment and and even beyond all of that. Even that phrasing suggests there's something defective about black people specifically. That's another reason why I would not isolate it to as though black people are the only ones having a problem with racism. Bleaching creams, that is a billion with a B dollar industry. Might even be trillion by now. It's not just black people using those. Those eye surgeries, that's not black people. Because you, the name calling, slant eyes slopes all of that that also probably i don't know if it's a billion but that's at least a hefty million dollar industry going to get eye surgery cosmetic eye surgery so you can look like white people's eyes whatever that means anyway uh but it's nothing defective about black people i even was reminded andre perry he was a guest on the program that's not his phrasing he doesn't say there's a problem with black people. He says there's nothing wrong with black people that solving racism won't fix. Might be paraphrased, might be a word off, but even he doesn't say that there's a problem with black people. And I just would not say that accuracy is so important uh, and words are so important, particularly if you're going to put quotes up. Man, it should be super accurate. Now. Now. I posted this on Twitter. I do not say the problem is black people or the problem with black people is white people. I do not say that. I say the problem is white people. Even that, I generally, if there's going to be a racial classification, the focus is going to be on white people. That's another astronomical difference between myself and... And the vast majority of people who talk about this problem, which is fine. You all have a tendency to shift the focus black, 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 black. I don't do that. The focus should be on the problem. What that's what I've been saying for years. I know you all don't really pay attention that well. That's why I'm emphasizing the sloppiness and errors are so rampant. It's not just the me thing. It's widespread. It's widespread. Let's work to be more accurate. Now, I posted this on Twitter. I put there, quote, misrepresentation. And even, I think some of this could be willful because these errors, in my view, they are never to my advantage. Never. We'll proceed. I posted this, their misrepresentation. Uh, the problem with black people is white people. No, I've said for years, the problem is white people. And in fact, this is stamped on every podcast that goes out. And I put that image up. Now, I believe this happened on the very same day, if not within 24 hours. It's reported to me that someone calls to Mr. Fuller's program to ask you've got old Gus T saying the problem is white people. What do you think? Again, VGQ, Victims Guaranteed Qualified, there is an astronomical difference between you all and myself. That is fine. I do not care what Mr. Fuller thinks about that phrase or any of my views on counter-racism. I thought it was supposed to be Victims Guaranteed Qualified. I thought, in fact, if I was to guess, that's supposed to be the response if he finds out a non-white person said this. VGQ. He can say, he said what he said, right? I've said that a number of times. Like, dang, do I not get Victims Guaranteed Qualified? Anyway, the other component, I am totally totally not in concert I am not a part of affiliated with the people they sit around and listen to Fuller all the time and then you can't even get accurate about what he's saying I'm not with that at all if you've listened to Fuller long enough I think he also says hey we're supposed to be focused on The problem not going around here and nitpicking about what every victim of white supremacy says in fact you really could have got a response Robert Jensen said that in fact he didn't just say it he published it in a book what do you make of Robert Jensen saying this he's a white professor University of Texas Austin and he published it in a book and stands by it the problem is white people there you go no, no, no. Let's see what you think about this old Negro Gus saying that. I said that for years. When I say this, it's a problem. White people say this. And for reals, I think this came from this starts from a correction. Someone saying Gus says the problem with black people is white people. Wrong. I go to correct this. And you looking on Twitter to get a question to ask Mr. Fuller. That's us. We are not scientific. We are not serious at all. And a lot of it just ends up coming down to looking for squabbles, arguments. This this Negro says this. I'm going to go ask another black person. What do you think about what this black person over here says? That's a lot of what we do. I do not do any of that. We are so different. We have a white guest only policy. That's even in the record. I would go ask Fuller, what do you think about Jane Elliot saying, hey, we shouldn't be using the term non-white. That's in the archives. Again, you can run tell that. I do not care what Neely Fuller Jr. or any other victim of white supremacy has to say about my views. Any of them, and it's still the problem is white people. Now, I'm going to come back to the folks who sit and listen to Fuller all the time. Man, oh man. The name-calling component came in the same time as all of this with the errors, and it brought in some of this, all of it together. The name-calling and the errors, particularly from the people who sit around. We listen. Every time Neely Fuller's on, and we've done this for years, you do this and you can't even stop name calling? You never heard, in all that listening to Neely Fuller Jr., you never heard him say anything about the 10 stops. You never heard him say anything about no name calling. For reals? Mm. You never heard Neely Fuller Jr. say anything about resist the urge to criticize other non white people? That's unfamiliar. Some of the I totally get it. It's United Independent VGQ pick and choose what aspects work for you. I get it. But that just stands out as a lot. Even. Hey, Mr. Fuller says emphasizes accuracy, not misquoting people be correct about things. That's a part of following the logic. He emphasizes that all the time. The people that listen all the time claim that they love brother, Dr. Fuller you don't pick up those components of what he encourages I take those suggestions to heart I try to follow through try to be an example of that I don't go around misquoting non-white people really work not to go around misquoting anybody strive for accuracy anywho this even bubbled back to last week wasn't last week strive for accuracy days earlier i told you all charlie floyd the third contacts me out of the blue metaphor we had not been speaking conversing about anything and accused neely fuller jr of you know saying nigger this and uh criticizing criticizing black people and calling them nigra no less to a chorus of laughter and i said where is this in the archives Give me the program. Give me the date. I'm still waiting. Weeks have passed. I'm still waiting. That's what I mean in terms of errors. That's what I expect, because this is so uh, rampant. I've encountered this sort of thing for years, more than a decade at this point. Earlier in the week. I had a different cows listener where it happened again. Different cows listener emailed me to name call non-white people. That was Charlie Floyd. The third emailed me to name call Kirk Franklin and then put that on Neely Fuller Jr. I responded, told them same thing. I say to you all, if you have to name call and it's black people, it's not non-white people being too general. When you go to name call these black people, do not ever contact Gus T. Renegade really again if you sit around and name call black people I'm not interested in hearing anything you have to say about anything I've made a conclusion on that and I've seen too frequently like I said this is happening over and over these are not people I'm talking to it's not like we're having an ongoing dialogue about anything and they're hopping into name call or I'm having a conversation about racism specifically and a topic on that. And somehow. A different non-white person has veered off into name calling a black person that I don't even know. I do not see any constructive value in that at all. I've made it so explicit for more than a decade no name calling. If you do that, you don't need to contact me. No, 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 we can't do that. We got to involve Auguste. I know you ain't about no name calling, but I believe in name calling, coon. Cool in the game. Do all your coon talk with the other black people. I mean, it's a robust number of us. We believe in name calling. Contact them. Don't contact me, ever. i was embarrassed but i made sure to post this online because this is so widespread we are victim hey the master name callers they have trained us well 32 times they said Nigra in the cl- 32 times 32 times They have trained us. What does it all coons look alike to me? That's a platinum hit. I forgot about that. I had to be reminded all coons look alike to me. That is a platinum hit. We've been trained very well. So I go to post this online. If you do the name calling, do not contact me ever for any reason. Everyone who responds has to find some sort of pseudoscientistic pseudoscientific reasoning to justify name calling black people once again I'm not really on speaking terms with anybody i leave you all alone this is so rife this is kind of what I expect in dealing with non-white people even the non white people who sit around and love Fuller now, I'm even, let's look at some of these responses. We got, and the context, we'll get to that as we go, but response number one t- hey, 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 as I understand Neely Fuller Jr., these are suggestions. If name calling is working for them, hey, you let them do what they do. That is exactly why. I am not in... Minimize contact. Don't uh, don't even contact me. Don't speak to me about anything. You're defending name-calling and you're not even paying accurate attention. If this was about you all name-calling between each other, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. You all don't do that. You all have to seek out exactly what Fuller said since you all do so much listening. We seek out black people for conflict. You don't have to contact me to name call. There's no justification for that. I've made it very clear. I don't name call non-white people. Don't contact me for that purpose. Fine. We'll leave him out. No jamboree for you.
26: Yeah.
12: They'll sit around and name call everybody and we'll spend an extra hour on you. in the gang. They don't do that. This continued. And like I said, it got real pseudoscientific. The next one, I have great respect for your work. Pause. I've been saying it for, it'll be almost 15 years. If you like the cows, so what? If you don't like the cows, so what? Replace white supremacy with justice. You all can skip the compliments like, for real, for real. Just don't call me a coon. It continues. I must express a different... See, I must. We're talking about name-calling. You must justify name-calling black people exclusively. This is not a conversation about Cracker, Whitey. No, 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 no. You must express a different viewpoint to support name-calling black people exclusively, and this is the context... You have to contact someone to do your name calling after they've said, I don't do that. They continue. The act of naming things aids in their identification similar to how recognizing and naming a poisonous plant keeps us well informed and safer. And they even got a like. scientific, The most dangerous thing in the forest is classified as white, racist man, racist woman, racist child. Have they been properly identified? No. And even for this example, am I the person that's ignorant in the forest? You're contacting me so that I have a heads up, this coon over here. You No, man. I don't even know this non-white person. I've never had contact with this person. Kirk Franklin That's what you're doing. You're letting me know. Kirk Franklin is dangerous, man. Heads up. That's what that was. No, man. The most dangerous thing that we need to be concerned about, where my thought, what is (laughs) I say, the problem is white people. But this is us. I see this consistently. That's why I say, don't contact me. We're not on the same focus. All of you all that are focused on the focused on your blackness. I don't do that. And in fact, Fuller talks about that. The focus is not on focusing on your blackness. You Got to be a black person born in the U.S. and all of that. I am not focused on that at all. That's another group. do not contact me. We have nothing in common. I'm not talking about anything. Clarity. That's why I've said before, do not post my content and then I'm going to put a group together and list me with these people that name call. I am repulsed by that. I do not engage in that at all. You're spreading confusion. You can post everybody individually. You don't have to post Gus at all. (laughs) Hey, You can leave me out. If you got to do all the name calling, make it explicit. We're not talking about the same thing that Coon Gus is not for name calling and in fact, he's so adamant about it He said, if you name call, don't even share my content. How about that? No confusion. No confusion. Make it explicit. You only have to mention my name. Or the cows. Now, this continued. There was even some more posts in support of not just name calling, You got to contact other third parties to do your name calling. Anyway, uh, I'm very aware. Even that component, United Independent, if you believe in name calling, do what you do. Just don't contact Gusty. Is that asking too much? That's asking too much. Like, man, it continues uh, before I pass things on the. television watching came back up in this I think a component of our errors and name calling we are not serious about racism white supremacy even the sitting around listening to Neely Fuller Jr. we are not serious that's with the errors that's with the name calling really Fuller (laughs) it's in the 10 stops I thought he made that a big deal even with the errors which again, I submit is a bigger deal to me than it is to many of you all, just going by the evidence. I brought this up more than a decade ago. You all claim to love Pamela Evans-Harris. Whatever. Uh, black love is a revolutionary act. We read that in the book club. Before we even got to that, 2011, I pointed out on the air in that book, she attributes, she, her co-authors, attribute to Neely Fuller Jr., the phrase showcase blacks. You see the same pattern? Exclusive, the focus has been shift to black people. Exclusively. Like we're the only victims of racism. And the same thing, name calling exclusively black people. I've never heard anyone identify as a showcased black person. But I pointed that out. That's not Neely Fuller Jr.'s term. His term is racial showcasing. Where is the black at? racial showcasing, and that's focused on what white people do. Racist white supremacists got to be classified as white. I pointed that out 2011. Pam agreed and importantly Pam acknowledged she had not read Neely Fuller Jr.'s book. That is a problem. I pointed this out at the book club, but I'm just for detail Black Love is a Revolutionary Act, formerly the worst book I've ever read, is book number two. "Trojan Trojan Horse, Death of a Dark Nation is book one. You have published two books where you quote Neely Fuller Jr. in both. These books were published years apart and you still haven't managed to read this book. That's the type of thing that I expect that helps explain we're not serious. We're not scholarly. And that's why these sort of errors and I submit that is a major error, which he agreed that is a major error. But that's what I expect. Misquotes, errors, errors. Haven't even read the book. We do so much of that. Commenting on books, quoting from books, even. That is egregious to publish a book quoting from Neely Fuller Jr. He, they have YouTube videos that are really old where he talks about racial showcasing. You could have taken the time to transcribe exactly what he said in any number of videos audio where he talks about racial showcasing that's kind of what I expect not from every single one of us but that is very common quoting from books talking about books that we've not read quoting talking about documentaries that we've not read this is in the archives in fact that happened when we were reading Black Love is a Revolutionary Act I was in the process of pointing out these errors and there are many of them in the book Thomas in New York dials in you are in error brother Gus she is accurate she is given the female perspective we start walking down the pages oh really this is accurate is this accurate is this accurate I actually don't have the book I'm just trying to follow along as best I can that's us if you don't have the book why are you dialing in to you don't know what you're talking about that's kind of what I, what did I say before? And what did Neely Fuller Jr. say on his very first visit to the cows, springtime 2009? That is victims of white supremacy. We seek out black people for conflict and to disagree. I haven't even read this book, but I know you don't know what you're talking about. Same thing, we've had that with documentaries. People didn't even see it. they going to call in and tell us, give us a whole review of it and have not seen Haven't even seen the trailer. I told you uh, weeks ago, saying Neely Fuller Jr. is talking about Negroes and laughing and such. When did he say that? I say strive for accuracy for a reason. That works against white supremacy, racism. We are so predictably Inaccurate. I even continuing. I had. When I talked about the not watching television, because I think it's connected. I said that when we were reading black love, this book is written by authors who sound like they watch a lot of television and do not didn't read Mr. Fuller's book and then do, do not do not do serious scholarly study. It just sounds like people that watch a lot of television. Dennis Rodman was at the center of the book. Sounds like people that watch a lot of television, bad television at that Dr. Francis Cress Welsing says reading is more important than watching television I try to say that as often as I can and model that we don't talk about entertainment on the compensatory column that's part of the reason Mr. Fuller's concept in, again, the people that do all that sitting around listening greatest spectator right you should know that right the concept. Now, watching television, does that sound like you're working against being a member of the greatest spectators? You can do the fuller role. Shawshank Redemption, Godfather, Dancer Texas, Population 81, Casablanca. You can do the fuller role of films. Does that sound like you're working against being the greatest spectator? I had someone contact me after I talked about the TV watching and us relying on documentaries and YouTube and docudramas as our sole source of information or the bulk of our information on a serious subject matter. Uh, I had a victim of white supremacy contact me uh, and they said Neely Fuller Jr. suggests movie watching. Even that title. I wrote the word repulsed. That's what I put when I replied. Even that title repulsed me. Not that Neely Fuller Jr. can say what he wants to. Victims guaranteed, qualified. And I even, I put it in context. Now, I do not recall Neely Fuller Jr. suggesting movie watching. But I'm even going to put Mr. Fuller into context. You're talking about a black male who was born in 1929, middle of the Depression, middle of white supremacy racism, born in Muskogee, Oklahoma, right down the road from Tulsa. The University of Oklahoma was not integrated until 1950, so-called. I don't even think they would have allowed Neely to go to the library as a young child, teen, growing up. And it would have been, Neely, if you don't get your Negro, Negro out of here and blah, blah. That's what it would have been. You're talking about someone who, for the bulk of his teen and child years, it probably would have been a brawl for him to go to quality schools in many of the parts of the country. I am very sure your typical white person, they have way more books in their house than Mr. Fuller did when he was growing up. I didn't see what it looks like and I never got to ask, but it would not shock me growing up in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And that is they got uh, racially restricted regions all around where they keep the niggers in Oklahoma. This is not someone who was allowed, like he got to go hang out at Harvard, and Yale, so-called Ivy League school. Victim of white supremacy. Phenomenal work, but victim of white supremacy. Even you hear the difference. Dr. Welsing is a medical doctor. What does she say explicitly? Reading is more important than watching television. I'm going to give you one more on Fuller since you all listen so well. Neely Fuller Jr. does mention films, Neely Fuller Jr has read a lot of non-fiction books on racism. I've listened to him start dropping Hitler's table talk and Richard Wright Black male, and listing his non-fiction writing on racism. He quickly hopped over Black Boy and Native Son to get to the non-fiction writing that Richard Wright did on racism. I've talked to Neely Fuller where he has mentioned exact newspaper reports and I mean to the title to the author and exact subject. I was almost giving it line by line. Bang! That is not somebody who just sits around watching television. Reads the Washington Post all the time. Watches the news. Listens to the news. He is not just sitting around watching television movies I have heard and can put my hand on the audio in the next 30 minutes if you called me on it him say in a library bookstore read all of these books I have never heard Fuller say watch all these television programs watch every Jackie Gleason movie you can get your hands on I have never heard him say that VGQ if he did the person continued In the Cow's archives today, listening to a Fuller episode and at the two hour mark, he recommends watching movies to solve problems. Check it out. Would definitely like to know your thoughts on Fuller Jr.'s suggestion about watching movies to solve problems. Hashtag still learning. I was still repulsed by this. Now, I will concede he could be correct. Over a decade, I did actually go back and start listening to this episode, even though I didn't want to. Why did I not want to? This does not make sense. At all. At all. That was why I really didn't want to even listen to it. If Fuller said it, whatever. <laughs> victims guaranteed qualified. It still, it does not make sense at all. Pick any of the Fuller favorites: Godfather, Shawshank. Pick one. Casablanca, Gone with the Wind. Pick them all. How am I going to change the oil on the car and watch Casablanca? How am I going to watch the Godfather? And get the brakes changed on the car. I'm going to watch Shawshank Redemption. Clean the chitlins. You're going to have to turn off the television to solve problems. I've spoken with Mr. Fuller about films a lot. Apparently, April 2011. We did talk about A Few Good Men. Tom Hanks is in that one. Jack Nicholson. I do not know what problem you're going to solve watching A Few Good Men. Now, I have heard Fuller for years say, watch for the lessons. That is not the same as solve problems. Again, even if he did say that, which would be kind of irregular, but I guess, okay, I'm going to keep listening to our mark, and maybe he can explain it in a way that does make sense. You're going to have to turn off the television. Fuller himself said he used to haunt the movie theaters, and I have pointed that out television is addicted, addictive we victims of white supremacy we are addicted to escapism and fantasy and real talk I have seen the vast majority of non-white people we do not watch television like Neely Fuller Jr I'm going to break this film down use this as a part of my lecture to explain no greatest spectator and in fact I think Us watching so much television, I think that is a part of why we are so consistently sloppy and inaccurate with these concepts because we really do not work that part of our brain computer to say, hey, I'm going to turn off the television and read. I'm going to do some serious study. Okay, I'm going to watch a documentary on whatever this topic is, but I'm also going to do some reading, even if I don't read a big thousand page book or six hundred page book or two hundred page book at least i can get a few newspaper articles at least i can get a magazine article those are not the longest things in the world you could read one of those you could read five or six of those depending on the length in a couple hours maybe even less even add that man to get out of the tv and being addicted to those screens go to the library if a part of it is that going through school We had racist teachers, white people most to blame for this, and we don't know how to research. Go to your local library, community college, university. See if they have tutorials. Most of all of them, I think, they have classes where you can go. They will show you how to do research. Everybody should have at least one local research project that is not TV related. Go and check. Look in the newspapers from 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It should be something that you are interested in, that is a major aspect of us being victims of white supremacy, racism, we are not scientific, we are not scholarly we are not even accurate generally speaking go do some research, go to the library, see if they have a program that you can take for free, if you have children this should be mandatory, take them so that they know how to use the library anything that, it gets the asthma it could be anything that gets brought up Go back, you heard that with uh, Lamont Dutton, where they went back to the archives to see how that case was reported. It could be all kinds of things. It cannot just be that we are dependent on what we saw on YouTube and Netflix and watched on TV, and that's our understanding of things. Like, nah, no, nah, nah. And At minimum, as I said, I think that is contributing to the end result being that we have really weak brain computers that we have not developed we do not have an appreciation for language we do not have an appreciation for being accurate when it comes to talking about racism we're accustomed to reality TV Netflix silliness you don't really have to be precise when you're talking about all that when you start talking about white supremacy racism yes yes There is a monumental difference between Showcase Blacks racial showcasing. I even had someone on Twitter. They have posted my definition of racism inaccurately every time. That was how I had to waste time today, even going back to look because I have said that definition over a thousand times. In our 15 years of broadcasting. It has not changed go back pick out anyone said it this week we had Cindy Intrican on the program even got the transcript of that episode so you can copy and paste but even that same thing I said with racial showcasing dang you could listen to that and transcribe there's tons of uh examples of me giving that definition on YouTube you could slow it down and write it out if you want to make your own definition that's great but don't put it in quotes and then put my name next to it. like whoa that is not fuller said he was saying the same thing with if you don't understand racism white supremacy what it is how it works everything else will confuse you i don't mean changing a word here or there you took a a a comma out or you swap racism for white supremacy or you know either or i mean like wholesale changes to that and then stick Neely fuller jr's name next to it Nah, man strive for accuracy if you want to make up your own phrase Call it your own, but don't go out here attributing quotes and things to people that they did not say. Man, we have to do way, way better again. Strive for accuracy. I want to add one to the ten. How about no TV? Godfather, Shawshank Redemption, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think Red has the answer. white supremacy racism I've seen Shawshank Redemption many times Godfather 50 year anniversary of the Godfather sequel is coming up uh, in 2024 you can watch it every day I don't think Marlon Brando is going to have new answers for you but eh, eh, maybe you'll be able to solve a problem I don't think so that generally doesn't happen in fact Watching television for me is generally the escape from solving problems because it is a spectator activity. I will pause there, uh, strive for, I've been saying that for a long time, right? I'm just saying that for any reason, I try to live. That is a tough one. I fail often, but at least that is the attempt, the sincere effort. Strive for Accuracy. Number again, 605-313-5164. Be code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Folks can let us know how they managed to get through Thanksgiving, all of that. If you have solved problems while watching television, definitely let us know that one as well. Folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, you have commentary to share. Proceed. Hello. Uh, Black female caller. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Good evening. I hope, well,
30: never mind. Let me just keep going. Um, the issue with the asthma, um, and the young child and the awful apartment, um, I know there are obviously physical health things, but I guess something that's not talked about is the emotional health. I think last week you talked about, you, um, you had a clip about loneliness, you know, if your house is not, you know, welcoming or you don't feel your house is welcoming, you can invite people over to have a hopefully have a constructive conversation about racism. But it's not just to have, you know, maybe escape. I don't wanna I know that's not popular based on what I just heard. But escape their the own situation to have a respite at a friend's house. Um, so that's something as well and it and it sounds like that family. She said she moved with her daughter. I of here she moved into a community near a lot of family members for support. So, again, if she knows not a lot of family members, not a lot of friends. She's absent from school a lot because she's ill. It's hard to develop social relationships. Not, not just, you know, romantic, but, you know, just being friends and you know, engaging with proper conversation about topics and things like that because you're ill. So, I think that's something that needs to be addressed as well. Um, I think you talked... There was one area with a food the in Oklahoma, the black towns, the freedom towns. Uh, one of them, I believe, the population was under 200, and they said they didn't have a grocery store. I wonder if anyone had thought about just growing seeds. If you're in a rural area, I would believe you have a little plot land, unless you're in, like, Mounds County in Alabama where the soil is horrible. Hopefully they have decent soil that would be something I would think about. And if they don't have, um, if they don't make a great deal of income, I did look it up to verify with the USDA that um, you can buy seeds with food stamps. So, you know, start growing your growing your own food and then after a while the food may be, you know, free or minimum cost of fertilizer, things like that. Um. And I'm sorry you're having all these challenges with um people. I don't I know you really don't care about my compassion, but I, I do feel bad for you. And those things again, they can elevate your blood pressure and things like that. Hopefully you are I believe you are taking care of yourself. I know you you know, eat <laughs> I know you eat better than I do. You know, eating properly and exercising and doing things to relieve stress because even if we were all doing, being active and researching, it's still a – what you're doing is very – although it's constructive, it's also very stressful. So be aware of your physical, emotional, and mental health. And I think that's all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just leave it at that. And oh, my Thanksgiving was fine. I spent it with my family. Um, that was it. Thank you.
12: Much obliged, black female caller, uh, eating well, very important, very important for all of us. Racism, white supremacy is very stressful and your diet can play an enormous, or, or not can, your diet does play an enormous role. And I mean diet in the sense of just the food that you eat, not, you know, some sort of plan or whatever. You're going to eat this specific food and trying to lose weight and all that. Uh, but super important if you're eating like they uh, they have some studies that will tell you if you're feeling uh, depressed, uh, even sick, like ill physically, uh, try to avoid a lot of sugar, especially that processed white sugar, because it does impact your emotions and all the rest of it. And they'll tell you other foods that you might want to consume, help take down some of your in, uh, inflammation uh, what have you? So you can feel better. Like when they say, "Think of food as your medicine." Believe it. Uh, it is an enormous difference when you get to eat uh, fresh fruits, victuals. Hopefully, people got lots of that. She was with the family. Maybe they had some fresh, fresh greens and all that in with all the uh, what is it? Thanksgiving uh, yummies and such. Uh, but that's to everybody. Eat really, really well uh, and sobriety. That is right there in the eating. Sobriety would be best when they pluck my nerves name calling and all the rest of it all the rest of it when your nerves get plucked sobriety would be best that's what race soldiers try to pull us. come on and get a shot of this Hennessy and yeah, get that rum and egg nah, 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 nah. then they put the sobriety checkpoints out and all that so you know double whammy uh, much about I was thinking I don't know what they have in Oklahoma for soil or what have you um I know the Dust Bowl was a long time ago for our Oklahoma history, but I don't know. Is that, is that an option? Is the, the soil hospitable for growing and or indoor growing, if that's maybe the case? But, man, they catch lots of black people that get us in these areas where it's really far, especially out in a rural locate like Oklahoma, where really far from grocery stores and important resources like that. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, do you have commentary to share? Proceed.
30: Hello? Some like people. Um, I have one more quick thing to say if no one else is saying anything.
12: Let's hear it. guess they'll get it together.
30: Um, a potential act of cancer racism uh, may be with your children, taking pictures of them in suits at least once a year, maybe once every six months and the children grow fast. In the event of, unfortunately, things happening, so if, they, if a picture needs to be produced, you know, you know, Again, monitor their social media, but you know, in terms of, I would guess, controlling our image, you know, take a picture of them in front of, you know, school or from church, somewhere construct where it looks like they're being constructive, doing constructive things, or, you know, in a uniform working if that's what they do, you know, if they work at McDonald's, you know, try to take constructive pictures to, you know, I mean, you know, people are saying do whatever they say do, but at least you can, you know, Quote, unquote control the image of your family and yourself as well thank
12: you, man. that took such a morbid turn. I was thinking something else, but yeah, that probably would be uh constructive unfor- that's what i mean like, i do not i don't think I call black female call I don't think she has offspring I do not have uh offspring man man that's mm, yeah yeah take a suit or whatever nice dress you know something cute so they won't be thought of as a gangster and all the rest I guess if they even bother to cross the T's and dot the I's should your child go missing or whatever the case may be like yes current pictures every 6 months or so and looking great um scholarly got a great future uh ahead of them um man that is man uh and and even uh I don't have children but I have seen a number of those reports uh talking about uh these I don't know what do you scams what do you call it uh, uh sexual attacks I guess I don't even Whatever better term would be for it, but targeting these young boys specifically to get them to send nude pictures and then it's some sort of financial extortion or uh, to get more nude photographs like what (laughs) white people don't care about children. That would be another reason I think it was already said watching your children's social media Internet activity is so I mean dereliction of duty and same thing I said before really try to wait with regards to the phone wait as long as you possibly can talk to other parents see what they and try to talk to parents who are in like a different uh, age range for their children so you can talk to some parents who have like late teens talk to some parents who have tweens uh, talk to some parents who have kind of, you know, six, seven and see, you know, did when did you get your child a phone? Did you get your child a phone? You let them play on your phone. What's the experience been? How do you monitor all of that? How often do you check uh, browser history and all that stuff? If they have their own phone, what sort of safety protocols and such? What sort of behavior changes have you noted since they got the phone? If you had it to do over again. Would you give them the phone at the same age? Would you give them a smartphone? Like it, it should be a rack of questions that you can ask. Certainly they have, they have a lot of literature uh, on all of this, but try to ask as many uh, black parents and or just parents period as you can, uh, who will talk to you truthfully about it so that you can make an informed decision. But man, with all of this and they've been saying it's just been more of these types of schemes and all the rest of it. I would wait as long as you can on giving them a smartphone and then for the computer and what have you. Now, you can judge by their uh, maturity level. You know your child. Be honest with yourself and everything. But, man, I would at least (sighs) until they've shown that, you know, you feel safe, like giving them your car keys. Like, I think they're pretty responsible. I'm sure they'll still make mistakes, but they seem like they got their act together enough. They probably should not have a computer in their room, like i 've seen that from another a number of folks who talk you know about parenting issues that 's one of their recommendations. Have the computer that they 're going to use for their homework out in a public place, the ingenuity room steal one of fuller 's terms or the living room or wherever kitchen, whatever, but not in their room so that they 're not all sequestered someplace when all of this is happening, and then you don 't find out about it until it 's way late that sort of thing. I think those are two constructive tips, but again. I don't have offspring talk to other parents, see what they say in a wide age range of parents, other folks, uh, dialed in. If you have commentary to share proceed. Greetings. Can I be heard? Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes. Uh,
16: I, uh, really enjoyed your commentary about, uh, reading, studying, learning, uh, I was just thinking while you were talking about what constructive practice that does not require an individual to do those things, reading, studying, researching. I don't know if any constructive practice, uh, it probably it may be, I don't know, but I don't, I can't think, it can, I can't think of one that, a uh, practice as constructive, uh, that, uh, does not require those, uh, Abilities, those practices. And uh, I would say solving the problem of racism, white supremacy, has to be numero uno for the people on the planet Earth. And uh, I'm not an expert on it, but it's worth a try to uh, maximize that practice of reading, studying, research, becoming scientific on the subject uh, in the terms of solving its problems. Uh, This week, uh, two things, just two things I want to report. I was just thinking about it. Uh, It actually was before Thanksgiving. The, the term that's called Thanksgiving, you know, I, I it, it, it takes, I, I would really have to sit down and think about what that term means in the first place, Thanksgiving. But anyway, uh, I am, uh, a quote unquote brother of two other brothers. Uh, one is a year older uh then it's me and there's another one that's two years younger and i just thought about it for the first time we were in each other's presence uh it's been years since us three been in each other's presence and also in the yard and the home that uh we grew up in. Uh and so it was, you know, pretty nice to uh have those audio visual pre- uh presence of one another conversation uh individually as well as collectively. Um never know when that would take place again. Uh I also uh Uh, Before the elder brother went back to uh, his place of residence, Uh, we stopped by at uh, one of the only two surviving uh, uh, females of my mother's immediate care group, Uh, her and her, attempted husband has been married for I think seventy one years. Uh he is actually ninety two. <laughs> and uh when she saw me, she hugged me. Uh <laughs> I was thinking about strangling. It was so tight. <laughs> uh she was in other words she was glad to to see me and we basically sat down and, and All four of us had, you know, long conversations. Uh, She talked about racism also in the process. Uh, The family is from Georgia. Uh, And uh, very good, very good conversation, very good conversation. Uh, And like I said, she talked about racism also during that period of time because she, first of all, she knows that uh, I have uh, spoken on it uh, with her, you know, years ago, that sort of thing. Uh, there was one incident that took place down here uh, a couple of days ago. Um, and it reminded me of Mr. Fuller's uh, don't fuss, don't fight, don't flee. Uh, and he said to those who... <laughs> And I don't want to be wrong about it. (laughs) He said that to those who uh, do not agree with that, then, you know, basically, uh, you know, try your way on it and see, you know, how it goes. Uh, His thoughts is, is that uh, more than likely you will lose in that process. But anyway, there was an incident down here where, um, and under the 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 news stated an undercover officer was wounded. Uh he had on a bulletproof vest, but apparently one of the rounds that was fired at him ricocheted and, and uh particles uh hit him around the neck area, something like that. Uh the people that were uh caught and, and arrested uh, were, I think five black males, uh, most of them teenagers, uh, maybe all of them are teenagers. But what was, a lot of people were unaware of is, is the, uh, the amount of officers that would come on a scene such as that. It was in Miami Gardens where I'm sitting at right now. Uh, One, uh, one guy expressed that, uh, this is most enforcement officials I ever saw in my life on one call. Uh, some people say it was in the vicinity of about 300. Uh, which I know from being a retired firefighter can, you know, I've witnessed on how that can happen. But, uh, anyway, try your best to, anybody to avoid being in contact with, uh, law enforcement. Uh, unless, unless, unless she is your quote unquote sister like me, but, uh, nevertheless, uh, do your best not to be in contact uh, with law enforcement while they are working and in duty and you're doing something that, uh, possibly could attract them. Uh, and then if you are, In that type of situation, then uh, follow the the three T's that Mr. Fuller suggests. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thanks for listening.
12: Much obliged, uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, For most of the things that are serious uh, problems that we're going to attempt to solve, you might even have to turn off the television at least for a little while uh we heard uh retired firefighter that for any i think uh, a black female caller also uh told us that she got time uh this week and such to be with attempted family members constructively and hopefully eat some healthy tasty victuals and get in a word about racism spectacular awesome uh share something instructive uh with folks uh, always take advantage of that um We even heard. Now, he said that he has a sibling who is an enforcement officer. Now, we didn't hear today and have not heard previously where a retired firefighter gets to cut a fool and run around South Florida, popping fentanyl, driving with no seatbelt on and drinking liquor and hollering at sex workers and just, you know, terrorizing folks down in Miami-Dade Gardens. And then he just calls sister. Up, hey, hey, they got me in the clink, you know, just come and she comes. Over, oh, yeah, I got retired. You know, that old knucklehead firefighter and they let him out and get that. She didn't say that he gets that blackmail privilege because his sister is on the law enforcement. We heard that two days in a row. White people being in law enforcement, their children out all kinds of criminal mischief. Oh whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Oh that's that's old captain's. Oh, okay, that's his son. Okay, okay, okay. We'll we'll we we'll Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's privileges and then it's privileges. Power, the better word, but yeah. I didn't I didn't think uh black people would get that sort of hookup uh just because they got a relative on the force, as they say. Any hoodles? uh number again 605-313-5164 the code five six four pounds press star 61 if you would like to participate wrap things up in our last few uh, folks, folks can get back and do it up get that last bit of cobbler pie or whatever else uh, that you have to Munch on. Again, hopefully it was constructive. Uh, Lots of vegetables. Uh, Lots of people end up gaining a lot of weight this time of year. We just talked about World Diabetes Day. Bring that up. Did you know it was World Diabetes Day just a few days ago? Isn't that crazy? Man, we should have talked about that when we were putting the meal plan together. We can do that for so-called Christmas. Make sure we don't have tons of relatives sitting around here eating a whole lot of bad food. And then, man, we get to January, of the New Year, we get to 2020, like, dang, I didn't picked up five, ten. dang, dang, my pants don't even fit, I can't even get the suit to do the picture right, I didn't gain weight, dang. Seen that before, that's real, you know, cliche and routine too. Switch that time, it's World Diabetes Day, as did y'all know that? It was just World Diabetes Day, man. Get some exercise switch up what we're going to cook up next year for thanksgiving switch up what we're going to cook up next month for christmas in fact switch up what we're going to cook up on monday for dinner more veggies if you haven't tried they got squash that's well it depends on where you are if you you know california and such you got even more options but even the colder regions uh, they have squash. They have tons of recipes and curries and soups that you can make with butternut squash. I have pictures of some of it on uh, social media. You can get a crock pot and make it really easy. Nobody has to slave over a stove and be chopping and cooking and sweating. and Nope. Quick dice. Boom, boom, boom. Throw it in the crock pot. Be done. Come back and eat and eat good. Butternut squash is so healthy for you. Like I said, they have so many uh, different recipes and things that you can do with it. You can even spiralize butternut squash, make pasta out of it that's healthier. Eat that cookbooks, man. That's what I'd be looking at. Like, man, if you have if folks who get together, attempted family members, reading more important than watching television, get cookbooks. They have cookbooks by black people that have all the Uh, traditional what they would call negro recipes type of things sweet potato pie uh cobblers stuffing collard greens all the stuff that you know well not chitlins obviously but all the things that folks would associate traditionally with black people in this part of the world eating they have cookbooks where you can make all of that stuff a lot healthier uh, with better ingredients can even make a lot of that stuff vegan uh, if you don't want, if you're a more visual they have youtube channels uh, and stuff you gotta watch something uh, they have websites where it's all of the above you can see videos of them doing it recipes and such all of that you can go to your you can make that one of the library projects i 'm going to go to the library i 'm going to find content for healthier eating put together by a black person or non white people or both whatever, but find some recipes that you can make uh, for the winter so that you can eat a little bit healthier, ward off some of the racism with our diet, ward off the diabetes and hypertension and having to be on all those medications, and then got to go to the hospital and be in the clutches of Michael Swango, Lucy Letby. Reading more important than watching television. Incidentally, the New York Times, they had a list. It's the end of the year, so a lot of uh, like news sites and such. They'll do uh, book lists for the year. The New York Times this week, they had their 100 books of 2023. I noted they had all of the fiction books first. Then they got to all the nonfiction books. Most of the nonfiction books were directly and when I mean directly, like not really pussyfooting, like white supremacy, racism would be pretty close to either being in the title. or that's what this book is all about. All over the world, they had. Uh, Negro slaves in the Congo, like modern right now, Negro slaves in the Congo. Uh, they had books on the civil rights movement. They had books on Cointel Pro stalking Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, they had books on racist dogs being sicked on black people. They had biographies on black victims of white supremacy. I mean, it just went on and on and on and on and on. But what I said. All of the fiction books were first. So as you're scrolling down the page, 100 books, if it's even split, the first 50 books, all fiction. Some of them dealt with racism, too, but they're false. Then came all of the nonfiction. Like I said, in most of it, it was directly about white supremacy, racism, flagrant. I said right there, white people, they encouraged that escapism, fantasy. Fiction is valued more than truth in the system of white supremacy. We're master deceivers, So, of course, we're all about the fake, the phony, the fiction. But I just scrolled all over, scrolled completely over the fiction. And saw, wow, God, a lot. And I mean, a lot of books that are directly about racism. If you are looking for a book about white supremacy, oh man! Even one of them, I forgot. It was literally every book was about white supremacy, racism. i me just give you two. One of them was the 272 by Rachel L. Swarns. That was one, and the other one was Master, Slave, Husband, Wife: An Epic Journey from Slavery to Freedom. That was about uh, these slaves, like former plantation slaves, trying to escape. From The Plantation. I think one of them even pretended to be a white person. Wacky. Non-fiction. Uh, and then the other one, The 272. This one I'm trying to make sure I can give you the... Oh, it's by Rachel L. Rachel L. Swarns. Uh This one about the University of Georgetown. They got all of these so-called... let give the full title. The Families Who Were Enslaved and Sold to build the American Catholic Church. Georgetown is a private Catholic university, Uh, but it's got like old uh, old Negro Jim on the cover of it. Like, oh my God, the religion of white supremacy. That's what I mean. Like, now what fiction book? Harry Potter? Shaft? What fiction book do I think is more important than reading this? All of these, really, that are about white supremacy. Why do I think the fiction books would be more important? We don't need the escapism. The uh the church's captives, a college on the rise, saving Georgetown, the Prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T-S prophets. That's all uh in the book. Give the full title again, The Two Seven Two, as in two hundred seventy-two the families who were enslaved and sold to build the American Catholic church. They had 100 books on their New York times list. 50 were nonfiction. Basically all 50 were about white supremacy, racism, like what I just read. Reading is more important than watching television. One of them, like I said, is about Pro hounding Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. That be my two adds to the ten stops. Do not waste non-white people victim of white supremacy's time and energy. No. TV watching. Strive for accuracy. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
16: Nigga, you so
28: brainwashed.
21: I'm a victim, no brother.
12: problem. you a
28: victim. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my condition. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>